who is sanctified us with his commandments, has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Bless you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Bless you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. And you say, Amen. Amen. Um, I had uh, lunch with one of the local Orthodox rabbis, and uh, we don't see eye to eye very much. I mean, I practice what he does. I don't wear as much black as he does. Um, but he doesn't like the fact that I keep the commandments. Thinks it's only for Jews. So we got a little rub there, but I take care of his IT stuff. So he's got to be nice. <laughs> so we go to lunch and we argue about who Messiah is. And uh, it's typical lunchtime. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So um, you may not know it, but it, it's not just a uh, a Christian habit to pray before you eat. It's actually a Jewish habit, and that's where it comes from. The uh, Traditional blessing goes not on like this one, and uh, so I'm ready to I'm ready to bless God for the food. And he bows his head and he did it by himself. So I waited till he was done, and I looked at him and I said, uh, <clears throat> "Could we do this together?" Said, oh, bless God, bless God. So I did out loud, and when I was done, I said, "Amen." And he looks up at me and he goes, "Joseph." You never say amen to your own blessing. You're such a Gentile. <laughs> there it is. I actually asked that question in our last study group. Is there? Where, where in the Bible does it talk about praying before you eat? And it's we, complete tradition. We didn't really find it. Yeah, it's a complete tradition. Started by uh, um, by the Pharisees, actually. And we're going to talk about that tonight a little bit. Um, of course, the Master did the same thing. And we don't bless the food. We bless God for providing the food. So does God bless pizza? No. We bless God for the pizza, praise God. Yeah, but there's some really good pizza out there. Absolutely, and we should praise it all the more. <laughs> I, I got a quick question. The the prayer, is that kind of is that like the Jewish version of the Lord's Prayer? No. No? Okay. There's a blessing for everything, if you've ever seen uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And there, we bless God before we study the Torah. We bless God before we eat. We bless God after we eat. We bless God... Be- before we go to bed, we bless God when we get up. There's a blessing for everything, and that was the traditional blessing before we study the Bible. Okay. And, and that was it. Now, well, um, do we praise God and He's blessing us, or do we bless God? Yes. Both of those. Those are all good. Um, we just finished the week of unleavened bread. It starts out with Passover, which is a point in time, and then you have a seven day feast of unleavened bread. Um, fabulous significance uh, in light of Messiah and the parallels that are there. Um, but the command in the scripture in Leviticus 23 is that we would count the Omer. Maybe you've wondered. Um, the word says that the, uh, the master stayed with them for 40 days, teaching and being seen by all kinds of people after the resurrection. And they went out to the Mount of Olives. He lifted up his hands. He prayed for them. He got lifted off the ground. They're looking down. They looked out. You know, the angels show up. Men of God, why are you looking up in the sky like that? You look like noobs. Come on. This same Jesus who left this way will return the same way. Why do they know it was 40 days? Maybe it was 36 days. Maybe it was 47 days. Why 40? Because we're commanded to count from the day after Passover, from the day after the Sabbath. I was off on Tuesday, last Tuesday. 
um, and this past Monday, the first and the last days of Passover. And from the day after Passover, we're to count the Omer. And we count 49 days, seven sevens. And the next day, the 50th day, is what you call Pentecost. And that's why you call it Pentecost, because it's 50 days after Passover. So, um, here we go. Um, if you want to read that first paragraph, uh, I'll go ahead and give that to you in Hebrew. Today is nine days, which is one week and two days of the Omer. The compassionate one, may he return for us the service of the temple to its place speedily in our days. You say, Amen. Amen. So, uh, which means, think about it. Um, so today's the ninth day, and my family will be counting. Every night when the day begins, because the day begins at sundown, just like in the Genesis story, um, we'll be counting. And I went the 49th day. And the very next day, I'm off from work because it's, it's a holiday. It's a, it's a festival. It's a Sabbath. Okay. Did you read the article in the Telegraph? Chris Brosnan. How do you cope with difficult periods in your personal <coughs> and professional life? His wife of like 20 some odd years died of cancer and then his adopted daughter died of the same cancer. She was like 42 years old. Faith, he says, unexpectedly. I have a strong faith being Catholic Irish that has been maintained throughout my life. I enjoy the ritual of church and prayer. I'm not consistent in it, but it's within me. The dark times and the troubles, they'll come regardless. I just hope you have the strength and courage to address them and endure. Pretty cool. First time I've ever heard of him talking about his faith openly. And he hasn't had work since. Yeah, what can you do? <laughs> All right. Way to go, Hollywood. Yeah. Um, quick agenda. Um, from where does Judaism come? I hope to answer that for you tonight. Uh, isn't that like so five minutes ago? I mean, you guys are practicing Christianity. I mean, what are we doing? Right? Um, what's the future hold? I think one of you asked that in your questions. And then we'll hopefully have some answers. All right. You ready? Are we okay? Ready. I'm, I'm going to speed up from here. You all right? You're yeah. not falling asleep, are you? No. Okay, yeah, just yeah. Steve naps from time to right. time during. Steve <laughs> carried us opening night as we went through the, the Jufac. Cool. <laughs> cool. All right, so I want to go through views of time. How is time viewed? Well, in the, in the Greek mindset, the view of time is, is as a man standing on the banks of a river. And you're, you're looking and you can see what's coming. And as you look downstream, you can see the past. So you can see the future, and you can see the past. And we might picture a little bend in the river, so you might not be able to like, exactly see what's coming. But that's, that's the view in the Greek mindset. But in the Hebrew mindset, you're sitting in a rowboat in the river. So you're not apart from time. You're not outside time like God is. Actually, in time. And time is going by. And if you've ever done the rowboat thing... What way are you facing? Backwards. Backwards. So you are looking at what you have experienced. You are looking at the past. And the future is behind you. That's the Hebrew mindset of time. The uh, various words for this. Sunetesis in Greek means future. Aharit in Hebrew means Future, and I just like to look at these two words here for a second. Um, Synatesis means together, no. Soon is together. Uh, Atesis, uh from uh, to know. So together, no. That seems weird, um, but it reminds me of the word conscience, which means with 
knowledge together know conscience. Have you ever noticed that uh, even if you're not walking properly with the Lord, if you do something wrong, your conscience drives you nuts? Why is that? How can it be that our conscience can bear witness of what's right and wrong? Because we have knowledge of right and wrong from the Word of God. So we've got the with knowledge. And we notice that the actual definition of the word for future in Hebrew is afterward or backwards. I think that's pretty cool. It kind of uh, helps me to understand Proverbs 22, 28. Don't move the ancient markers that your fathers have set. Have you ever noticed the guys that are plowing the fields? These long, unbelievably long furrows, and they're all perfectly parallel. How do they do that? Well, they've got two marks, right? One up close and then one far away, and they just keep them lined up, and the furrow stays straight. It's the same way the Hebrew mindset says, as you're rowing, you can affect the future by simply adjusting your course. Change your lifestyle. Change what you're doing, and you affect the future because now you're heading in a different direction. But we know the right direction by looking at the past and looking at potentially the markers that we've learned from our fathers and forefathers in the faith. Can I ask you a question about conscience? Yeah, one quick thing. Let me just finish this one up. Um, this might help you understand this verse out of Luke 9. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In the Greek mindset, we think he's looking back to the past. Man, I remember how it used to be, and I want to go back to... Well, no. In the Hebrew mindset that he would have been using, this is someone who's concerned about the future. They're looking backward. They're looking trying to figure out what the future is going to be like because they put their hand to the plow now and they're wondering what it's going to be like in the future. Kind of a different take on it. Sort of a talk. Go ahead. So, and this is a small tangent, but do, do Jewish people believe that people are born with inherent good? So, I mean, you mentioned that we get that knowledge from the Word of God, but is there... Is from there the Word of God and from our forefathers. Is there an imprint in the genome, so to speak, of... We are created in the image of God. Who is good. Absolutely. Who is all good, the definition of good. Um, if your question is, do Jews believe in original sin, by and large, they would tell you no. We're born, and we sin. And all men sin. So what is sin? Breaking his commandments. Who defines sin? God defines sin because he's the one that laid down the commandments. We'll get into it. Good question. Don't overlook this one fact, 2 Peter 3 8. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. I'd like to give you, in three minutes, the history of the entire world from the beginning of creation. You're going to have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Well, look at me. Look at Steve. I'm going to make sure he's paying. I know, yeah. <laughs> I just woke up. What? <laughs> what I miss? So the uh, Chazal, um, most things in, in, uh, in Hebrew are acronyms. Chazal stands for Chachamenu Zechronam Levracha. It's our sages of blessed memory. Uh, the sages of Israel teach that the history of Israel can be taught in 500-year pockets. And I've got four walls here. We'll use this as a wall. And we're going to take a wall as a thousand years. Okay? 
So here in this corner, I've got Adam and creation. So the, the world begins here. Prior to this, there was no world. He created it ex nihilo, out of nothing. So I've got Adam. A thousand years later, I've got Noah. About the middle of that wall, I've got an amazing flood. In this corner, I've got Abraham. In the middle of this wall, I've got the exodus from Egypt that we just practiced during Passover. In this corner, I've got King David. Right after him, Solomon. And then the kingdom splits. After the kingdom splits, we have all of the prophets. All of the prophets in your Bible. Every one of them is here in the first half of this wall. All of them. From Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Malachi, they're all right here. They get kicked out of the land. 70 years. They come back, rebuild the temple, which was destroyed, and we've got the last 500 years. Right about here, we've got Confucius, we've got Buddha, and then we've got Alexander the Great, conquering the known world. We've got the uh, revolt against the Assyrians, the Assyrians that came through and, and hit Israel. And then in this corner, see I've got a righteous man in every corner. In this corner, I've got Jesus. Here he's born. You with me? I'm going to run by it again. In this corner, I've got Adam. So Abraham was a thousand years after Noah? Yeah. It, I mean, it really gives you a sense for what's going on. So watch now. Adam, middle of the wall, Enoch walked with God. And Enoch was not. Noah, the flood, Abraham, Mount Sinai, yeah. the, ex the Exodus from Egypt. The book of Judges, Ruth, all of that. Joshua, Judges and Ruth, right here, okay? Oh, right? Yeah. Judges 1919, bro. And then you've got King David. Bad wall. Then we've got all of the prophets, 500 years. Book of Esther and Purim, the story here, right here in the middle of this wall. They come back, they then build the temple, and we've got what's called the pairs. The Sanhedrin is run or ruled by two men, two godly men. They work in pairs, and there's a series of pairs. Um, Hillel and Shammai are the two pairs that are in charge of the Sanhedrin when the master is born. Let's, let's keep going. So the master's born. When does like the Pharisees become in right power, there. In power? Right there. Well, they're, they're there before Jesus is born, right? That much before. Oh. So it's all, I mean, in, in light of, that, it's there. It's all right here. So everything happens. You've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and we're going to get into these guys. And then about here, the Jews revolt. 66. The master's already been crucified. He's already made it clear within one generation, within 40 years, the temple will be destroyed. 66, the Jews revolt because they're getting taxed out of house and home. 70, temple's destroyed. 135, Rabbi Akiva says, this guy is the Messiah. His name is Bar Chokba. And he leads the final Jewish revolt in 135. You've read or heard about Masada up on the plateau in Israel. They killed themselves instead of the Romans taking them. That was in 135. For the rest of the first half of this wall, the Talmud is being written. You've got the Mishnah, the Gemara, and the Talmud. Uh, the middle of this wall, Islam begins. That's where you have Muhammad. By that corner, you've got uh, 
the Jews being spread across Spain, Portugal, and Western Europe. So Islam got started around 500 A.D.? What did it sir? Around 500 A.D. is when Islam got started? Yes, sir, that's exactly right. Wow. Definitely after Christianity began. Definitely after, obviously, definitely after Judaism began. Right. But also after Buddhism and Confucianism. What was the name of the prophet in one third, or the uh, Messiah? Bar Chokhmah. Can, can you do that in non-Hebrew? Bar, which means in, in Aramaic. <laughs> that was Aramaic, by the way, not Hebrew. Okay. Um, bar means son in Aramaic, just as Ben means son in Hebrew. Kokhba, K-O-C-H-B-A, Kokhba. Okay, so I gave you all of that. So add it up for me. Creation, I got 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, and you're in this corner, 6,000. Well, you know what the sages say? They knew this. Did you know Peter was an Orthodox Jew? Yeah. Okay. So the sages said it took God six days to create the earth, and then he rested for one day. And in the same way, man will reign for 6,000 years, and then Messiah will reign for 1,000. You get it? 6,000, 1,000, 6, and 1. You get it? Okay. So, what is the Hebrew year? 5774. The Jews believe that Messiah will come in the next 200 some odd years. Guaranteed. I think that's pretty cool. And it kind of fits with the history of what's going on. Okay. The Temple Mount in Jerusalem. We start with the Holy of Holies, which is pretty teeny weeny. And then around the Holy of Holies, you have the holy place. And you can read in the scriptures what's in the holy place. We've pretty much got three items in there. We've got the table of showbread. There's a loaf of bread for every tribe. So we've got 12 loaves, six standing high in two stacks. On this side, we've got the menorah, right? The uh, seven-candled candelabra deal. And uh, up at the front, right in front of the curtain, we've got the table of incense. And you read in the uh, apostolic writings that Zechariah won the toss and was able to go in there and light the incense. And the Talmud says when, the, when the, the priest would go in there to light the incense, he would light it and get it really going and he would turn his head back to the left and he would see in the smoke like seven eyes from the menorah. Like the seven eyes of God. Were you the one that wrote? That sounds an awful lot like Revelation. It does sound a lot like Revelation. That does big time. Of course, when he turned his head back to put everything down, there's a guy standing on his right. And that was the angel. Is the Holy of Holies where the Ark is Ark of the Covenant? It's behind that, yeah. It's behind that curtain. So he was like this far from it. This is the... Uh, Sanctuary proper where the altar is, the uh, bronze laver where the, the priests would wash their hands and their feet, and they'd hang the hooks for the uh, lambs, which are actually hung not unlike a crucifixion pose. That's the, uh, the realm, if you will, of the priests. And then around that, you had the court of the men, because we've got you know, segregation going on here. And then around that, you've got the court of the women. So what's here? 
Anybody know? It's by far and away, aside from the little stairway you've got here in Tunnel going back down to the ground floor, it's humongous. Do you know what this is? Is that the area for buying and selling of goods? Well, you can't buy and sell in Temple Mount. Okay. Oh, no, 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 that won't do. Okay. No, this is the court of the Gentiles. Because in the days of the Master and before, slightly before, the big question of the day was, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles? Because there were so many Gentiles that were convinced that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the one true God. That monotheism was the right way. This paganism stuff and killing kids and pouring out their blood to Molech and some of these weird just were just that, weird. And they wanted to serve the God of Israel. We read about these guys as being righteous men, righteous Gentiles. Some of them would go through ritual conversion and be treated as if they were actually Jewish. But they weren't. They just got into the club. But they were still Gentiles. Here's the monolithic fallacy. You asked me to come here tonight and talk to you about Judaism. That's like me coming here and talking to you about Protestantism or Catholicism. There's not one. You all don't practice the same. You all don't think the same. You're pretty close, but you don't. We've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Notary in the days of the Master. Today we have Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, and Messianic. Hello. We've got the Hasid, the Haredi, the Modern. And if you're a Gentile, you really can't be Orthodox because I do tear a toilet paper on Shabbat, on the Sabbath. I do. I I'm, I'm a loser. <laughs> we call ourselves conservatives. We're more conservative than the folks that go to Temple Israel. We've been there. We've, we've prayed with, with the Jews that go there. I've had several clients that went there. We were invited. We went. We asked to be invited. We went. They think we're Jewish. We look Jewish. We act Jewish. We even sound Jewish. But we're not. And eventually that comes out. And they normally can deal with it unless we start to talk about the Lord. When I talk to the Orthodox, they want to know right away. Squitcherini. That's Italian. That's not Jewish. That's Italian. They know. Did you convert? No. Why not? I don't think it's necessary. We're done. I mean, they know, you know, we're done. So it, it takes a little give and take. We've got to argue a little bit. So that's the orthodox. And then you've got the lefties. These are the liberals. These are the Democrats. This is the Reconstructionists, the Humanistics, and the Renewal folks. So it's a fallacy to say, for example, all the Jews rejected Christ. That could not be any further from the truth. That's just a bunch of hooey. In fact, the first 20,000 Jews, the first 20,000 Christians, if you will, were all Orthodox Jews. You read in the Apostolic Scriptures, the guys who showed up that were there to hear Peter on the day of Pentecost, why were they there? Devout men from all over the globe. Devout Jews were there. They're Orthodox. Because <clears throat> we're commanded to be there for those three festivals, for Passover, for Shavuot, or Pentecost, and for the Feast of Tabernacles. Is this, is this the same kind of concept as Methodist, Presbyterian... Yeah. Yeah. And because and, one of the things we read that was really interesting, and I, I can't remember exactly which denomination, I guess, so to speak, 
Um, you know, people certainly have their stereotypical ideas of like the draven. And, yeah. and, and, you know, one of the things we read was, well, if you said, showed like a Sadducee, a draven, did like, what is this? Yeah. Um, and, and I can't remember where we read that. Yeah, but, I, can, but I, can tell you, I can tell you right now, just to help you with the drill. And, and these are the kind of questions I love. So we're right before the Master's book, mm -hmm. right? So Antiochus Epiphanes, written about in the book of Daniel, he comes in and wants to convert the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, and take it over. An Assyrian takeover. Had some very serious rules. You may not study the Torah. You may not circumcise your sons. You may not keep kosher. You may not uh, keep the Sabbath. And there was a fifth one, but it escapes me right now, but it'll come to me. So those were the rules. Well, we're commanded to study the Torah. So what they would do was sages, stu students of the Bible, Talmudim, disciples of rabbis, they would sit down and study the Torah. And they had dreidels in their pockets. And if Roman soldiers were coming by, or Assyrian soldiers were coming by, they would just take out the dreidels, put the, the uh, scrolls down, and they would spin the tops and make it look like they were playing a game. And they did have a game. And we play that game on Hanukkah to celebrate the great victory that God provided. Every Jew would know because they were all affected by it. Okay. Because back here... You really didn't have as much of a schism between all these guys. They were all there, mm -hmm. but they were all pretty much united against a common foe. Okay? Yeah, wasn't that Make sense? Website. Do back up there. Yeah, yeah, no, that does. Yeah. So, it's a fallacy that there's a monolithic Judaism then or today. So let's look at the players in the days of the Master. The Pharisees, or in Hebrew, the Prushim, these guys ruled how the faith was kept. They thought of themselves as being very pious and very different from the regular people. And they juxtaposed themselves to the Amharats, the people of the land. They would not eat with anyone that was not a Pharisee. Let me say that again. Pharisees would only eat with other Pharisees. This should, uh, this should make you stop and think. Because Jesus ate with Pharisees. And the Pharisees ate with Jesus. Do you remember the time they're passing through a field and some of the uh, master's disciples took some grain and they rubbed it in their hands mm -hmm. and they ate it. Oh, yeah. And the Pharisees said, Can't do that on the, on the Sabbath. Why are they breaking the Sabbath like that? Now I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, it didn't say Jesus did it. It said his disciples did it. Number two, go back and look at his answer. He never defended what they did. He never said they broke the Sabbath. They never said they broke the Sabbath. They just asked them, why are they doing that? The big question you should ask is, what are the Pharisees doing with the master in the middle of a field? There's no fields in Jerusalem. They're back in the Galilee. These guys, who are always in Jerusalem, that's where they live, had followed the master back up into the Galilee. They're following him. But weren't they trying to out him as, as no. false? No. But no. Definitely not. In fact, 
if uh, the Irish are very much like the Italians, we sit down at the table and we just start arguing with family members. And if people that are watching from the outside think that we hate one another, but we don't. We're just arguing. It's not a big deal. It's family. That's why he banged on the Pharisees so hard. Because they were like family. They knew better. Their hearts were wrong in some cases. And he took them to task. And he took them behind the woodshed in a major public way. But guys, the Pharisees are almost never included in the next bunch that really did want to get rid of him. I mean, think about it. He was buried by two Pharisees. Joseph of Arimathea, right, was a Pharisee. So was the other guy. So don't, don't give him such a black eye right off the bat. I'm, I'm curious. So you, you said that the Pharisees, based on their question, you said that they, they never, it, it was never explicit that they said that what the disciples were doing was wrong? Is, mm-hmm. that, is that what you said? They thought it was wrong. Okay. They still think it's wrong. Okay. But it's interesting that they didn't go, oh, well, they're breaking, they're breaking the, the rules and walking away. Right. They want to hear the master's answer. Sure. They want to know what's going on. Right. I'm, I'm just more curious about the fact that they're even there in the field sure. with these guys. That's so cool. These guys, by the way, are the ones that lasted. These are the guys that provide rabbinic authority today. The, the rabbis of today are the descendants of the Pharisees. Because the Sadducees, the Sadokim, come from uh, the priest Zadok that you read in the prophets. Zadok was uh, a priest during the time of the prophets, very righteous man, and they're followers of Zadok. They're priests. Pharisees are not. These guys are priests. Temple gets destroyed. What's a priest do? He becomes a plumber. And he has no rule or authority anymore. And that's why you don't hear about these guys. And they have absolutely no reference or place in Judaism today. They're gone. Because their enemies wrote the history. And wrote them right out of there. Okay? So they pretty much stopped at 70 or whatever uh-huh. when the yeah. temple was... Yeah. I mean, all of their authority was gone. These are the guys that were corrupt. These guys... I mean, um, you may notice uh, Caiaphas was high priest. But so was Annas. He was a high priest. And it turns out that Annas had been high priest for quite a long time, and Caiaphas was his son-in-law. I mean, it was, it was a family gig. And they're moving it back and forth and buying this high priest role from the Romans. It was completely corrupt. A high priest should only be one guy until he dies. In fact, as you read in the Old Testament... In the Torah, um, if you killed a man accidentally, there were cities of refuge in the land that you could run to. And now all bets are off, as long as you stay inside the city. If you went outside the city, the avenger of blood, probably the Italian boy's father, his brother, you know, that kind of thing, would come and get you, and they had every right to take you out. But as long as you stayed in the city, you were safe. When could you leave the city? When the high priest died. And then you were free to leave. But in the days of the master, there's two or three high priests all at the same time. Impossible. Completely corrupt. These guys did not last. Next group, the Essenes. Probably the guys living in Qumran in the middle of the desert. Yochanan Hamakvil. 
or John the Immerser was probably with those guys. He was probably an Essene. The master had a lot of empathy and a lot of association with their asceticism. John the Immerser, the one that baptized Jesus, is that? He's the one. Okay. I've heard him call John the Immerser before. What'd you call him? John the Baptist? John the Baptist. It's not John the Catholic? Okay. Not John the Presbyterian? No, it's John the Immerser. That way we remove all, all problems. And he did immerse, by the way, um, in the Jordan. But the Essenes, a communal lifestyle. They lived and shared everything. Very pious, studied uh, for a third of the day, worked for a third of the day, you know, that kind of deal. Um, the model that we read of in history about these guys is actually the same model that the apostles used after the second chapter of Acts. You know, they shared everything and they kind of lived together. Most of those people didn't live there. All of the apostles are from the Galilee. They're not from Jerusalem. They're just hanging out there now because they wanted to be in the temple. And they're living like the Essenes. But these guys didn't last either. So that's the players in the days of the Master. So you say they study, and that's just hit me. Yeah. Obviously no photocopiers in the day. Yeah, it's tough. Is, is, would there be a group of Essenes that were... Supposed to transcribe the word? Or? Oh yeah, it was a it was a job. It was a uh, an occupation. Um, you actually read about it in the apostolic scriptures, and they sent some of the scribes and Pharisees to him to ask him some questions. Which, by the way, is a good thing, because that's that's what we're commanded to do. Some guy stands up, does a few miracles, and starts teaching. You're supposed to find out who is this guy, and is he trying to lead us astray? Deuteronomy chapter twelve back half, and Deuteronomy 13, the beginning of it. And if he's trying to lead you astray to follow after other gods, kill the guy. Have no fear. Take him out. So, scribes were guys that were professional copiers. And we could do an hour class on just how the scribes copied the scripture. And we, as believers, owe them a great debt. Because their fanaticism with getting it perfect is something that you cannot even comprehend. I'll give you a quick example. They're writing one page in the scroll. They wash their hands. They say a blessing. It's always a blessing. They sit down and they start to write. They get to the name of God, the Yod Hey Vav Hey. They get to the Tetragrammaton, the name. They get to it before they do it, before they write. They say a blessing, wash the hands, write the name. Wash the hands, continue. Every time. They get to the bottom of the page. They count from the original. They count the letters on the page. Then they count theirs. If it's off by anything, they tear the page up and start again. Then they count the words, and they do the same deal. It's astonishing. These guys copied by hand for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The Torah was given here in the middle of this wall. Photocopy. Let's see, Gutenberg and his press is the middle of that wall, 1500. By hand. Unbelievable. So if you had a scroll, it was very, very sacred. It was written on animal skin. Oh, the exile. Um, we're back over here now. Um, Fiscus Judaic is what I was talking about. You know, it's a massive tax for Jews. But this tax started in like 60. 
but the master was killed in like 33. So the question becomes, what about the Jews who are now practicing Christianity, if you will? That's probably the best way to put it. They believe the Messiah. Messiah is dead. Messiah has been raised. So now, who's getting taxed? The Jews. But what do the believers in Messiah look like? They look like Jews. They go to the temple every day. They're praying. They're doing the prayers. This is right out of the scriptures. What about the Gentiles? You got the Cornelius story, the vision with Peter coming down. Hey, what I have said is, if I have not said something's unclean, it's not unclean. It's up to me, not up to you. Got some guys that are going to bang on the door. Rap, rap, rap. Hmm. It's okay to go with me. Goes to Cornelius. He's filled with the Spirit, speaks in tongues. Hey, you know, I, I had no idea. But they got it just like we got it. These guys are okay. So Gentiles are okay. Well, you've got Gentiles who are now starting to practice Judaism, just like I am. When the tax came, a lot of the Gentiles said, no, 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 I know, yeah, not really. Um, Offer to keep it. I don't really, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew, because they don't want to pay the tax. Well, Jews were ticked. Then comes 66, where they start to revolt against this and against Rome. And the Gentiles kind of stayed in the background. And the Jews got, got their butts kicked. It was bad. And then the temple got destroyed. Just before it got destroyed, they surrounded it. The Romans surrounded Jerusalem. Well, the Master had already talked about that. They read Matthew 24. Well, actually, they heard it. It hadn't been written yet. When you see the city surrounded, don't go back downstairs to get your coat. Just get out of town. Get out of Dodge. And the believers in Messiah did that. And a lot of Jews were killed. But the ones that listened to the master and left town and went to the, the city of Pella survived. Big rift between the Jews and the Christians. Got that. Got that. The question then became, instead of, what do we do with all the Gentiles? Now you've got the Gentiles are pretty much the majority because the Jews got wiped out. And the big question now is, what do you do with all these Jews? Our response to them was not really our best hour. Our response was convert or we'll kill you. And oh, by the way, same thing as an Antiochus Epiphanes. You can't keep that Sabbath stuff anymore. And we don't want you studying the Torah. And you can't keep the festivals. And you can't circumcise your kids. As Gentiles, we came up with pretty much the same rules that the pagans had come up with prior to that. Sad. It was true. Talk about salvation for a second. We think of all of mankind, and we've been taught in the church that there's really two kinds of people in the Bible. There's Gentiles and there's Jews. There's really nobody else. There's Gentiles and there's Jews. But at some point, you got to become a member of the church. I mean, if you want to be saved, that's why we talk about baptism. So we are taught that you leave the Gentile circle and you go into the church circle. 
and we convince Jews that they need to give up being Jews and become Christians. You get it? That's what we've been taught. I submit to you tonight, that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches that all of mankind is in fact made up of two groups of people. There's Gentiles and Jews. And Jews used to be Gentiles until God chose them. But they're still part of mankind. And where's the church? Inside Judaism. That's why the Messiah is Jewish. That's why Abraham was called. He had to be Jewish. It's all Jewish. And we have plenty to say about that in the book of Ephesians. We should be holy and blameless before him. It talks about his commandments. In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons. That means we leave our family and we get into a new family, which is exactly what that is, through Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles were at that time separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Bummer. Having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once afar off, out here in the blue area, have been brought near by the blood of the Son. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1 and 2. It doesn't mean that you can't practice your faith the way you're doing. I'm not here to tell you to stop that. I'm just saying that we need to stop thinking that a Jew needs to become a Christian and now is no longer a Jew, where you as Gentiles need to become a Christian. Um, actually, you need to start being a part of the family. You've been adopted into his family. If we are co-heirs with him, then... You guys should look a lot more Jewish than you do. In summary, first 20,000 Christians were Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Judaism flourishes today, waiting for and hastening the coming of Messiah. If there's anything that shocked me when I looked at this walk, is that they're all about Messiah. Everything they do is all about Messiah. They teach every page, every page of the Torah. That's the first five books of Moses, especially the boring stuff that I had you read. All of it, every page, speaks of Messiah. And we're supposed to find him on every page. And that's exactly what the Master said. He said to the Pharisees, You search the Scriptures looking for life, but it's these that speak of me. The Catholic faith, your faith, is the best representation of the ritual and liturgical heritage of Judaism. Why do you think the Pope wears a keeper? Why do you think the Pope has clothes that are completely different than any other priest? Why do you think you've got priests? It's a parallel. That's where it came from. This is the heritage. King Messiah will reign over the whole world soon and in our days. Somebody say amen. That's my summary. It's a bullet, bullet two there. Yes. Yeah. So hastening the coming of Messiah. Do they believe that's the first time he has come or the second? Depends on which Jew you're talking to. I mean, let's not get the monolithic fallacy, right? I know, personally, Orthodox Jews that believe that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. No question about it. And they're absolutely Orthodox Jews. And I can show you news clips from CNN of television clips from Israel where Orthodox Jews who don't believe in Messiah, they all believe in Messiah, who don't believe that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah, 
are making fun of spitting and throwing rocks at other Orthodox Jews in the community that do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah. And, and you're like, what is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. What's going on right there is what was going on in the corner right there. Where you had all these Orthodox Jews going, yep, he's the it's one. Nine o'clock. He's the guy. Yeah. So what's going to settle that dispute? I mean, well, I asked. Uh, yeah, I've, that's a great question, and I've, I've asked Orthodox Jews that you know that know my faith, and, and uh, uh, because of our practice. Um, I'm, I'm wearing I'm wearing tzitzit. We're commanded to wear these in Numbers chapter 15. Uh, it says to wear these to remember the commandments. When you see them, you'll remember the commandments. And they're tied in a certain way. And the way I tie mine says who my rabbi is. He's Yeshua, by the way. Um, the way this guy ties his may show that his rabbi is somebody else. And it's you know you can tell by the clothing, you know by how they drive after they leave church. Yeah, stuff like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I asked him. Well, should we do this or should we do that? And his aunt, he just got a big grin. He goes, the Messiah comes, he'll let us know. And that's a lot of times their answer for everything. They are waiting for Messiah. In the days of the Master, they were waiting for, specifically at that time, because there's always Messiahs. Always. There's not the kind of Messiah you and I think of. It could be a Messiah that would just get them out of trouble. The book of Judges, every chapter is a different Messiah fixing these guys. And 20 years go by and they went back in doo-doo and they, he raised up a, a judge and, you know, he's, he's a Messiah figure. But there's some special Messiah figures that prefigured Christ, like King David, Moses, a redeemer, a priest, King David, a king. Did you ever notice that what King Saul did that caused him to lose his kingdom, is exactly what King David did right after him. King David did exactly the same thing. He made sacrifice, that's what Saul did. He wore the ephod, just like the priest did. But he's not a priest. He's the king. The two are different offices. By the way, they're both anointed, which is what Messiah means. The king is anointed, and the priest is anointed. But David was prefiguring the real prophet, priest, king. Messiah and Yeshua when he came. So, Messiah will work it out. So I put six questions down here, and I thought you might want to touch on some of those. If not, I'll take anything else you got. Um, I've got a question going back. Sure, have a few. <laughs> yeah, uh, going back to the second bullet point, the last one, like the hastening. You know, you said that there, you know, the, the 6,000 year period of time. Yes. Certainly there... There are at least 36 righteous men on the planet, on Earth, at any one time. Um, at any given time. Which we've heard that before, so thank you. Um, and, and, but I'm saying, are, are there, you know, people that are sitting there going like, uh, crap, we only got like 200 years left, man. Well, this, you know, this guy needs to hurry up. Spark the Messiah coming. Hastening the Messiah. Is that, is that the, the focus of your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hastening the Messiah? Yeah. Um, well, that's, a, that's actually an apostolic scripture quote. That we are, as Peter says, we should hasten the coming of Messiah. How do you do it? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus said, you can know the one who loves me, because he does the will of my Father in heaven. 
He keeps on commandments. Mm -hmm. First John said, hey, we know if they're of us because we keep his commandments. So, Jesus was asked a question that had been asked of every rabbi before him. And he answered exactly the same way as the rabbis before him and another rabbi, Paul, after him. And another rabbi, Yehuda, after him. What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Where does he get that? From the Torah. <clears throat> the question is not, what are the commandments? It's how do I do that? How do I love God? How do I love my neighbor? Leviticus 19 is exactly how you do that. You have no kids yet? I don't know. You have kids? Not that I'm no. aware of. No kids. Who's got kids? You have kids. Son? I have one. One? Boy. Boy. I'm teaching my son that if he finds somebody's wallet on the floor, that he should pick it up, take all the money out, well, yeah. throw the wallet in the church. No. You're Jewish. That's That's right. Right. I, I, I didn't answer that. You didn't answer that. So I'm teaching him that he should care for that wallet. And he should find and be diligent to find its owner and restore it to him. You're probably teaching him the same thing. He's seven. So. Then you will be teaching him the same thing. He tries to eat the wallet. That's right. <laughs> you can probably chew on the wallet at this point. <laughs> and daddy thinks that's the money. So I'm going to uh, put on my glasses here. And if I get my uh, reference correct, I'm going to read you from Deuteronomy chapter 22. You got a Bible, you can follow along. If not, I'll give it to you. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he doesn't live near you and you don't know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing like his wallet of your brother's, which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox falling down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him lift them up again. So I tell my son, you find a wallet, son. Don't be, don't be taking the money out of that. That's not your money. I don't care how much money is in it. Find out whose wallet it is and restore it to the one who lost it. Why, Dad? Because that's the right thing to do. How do you know, Dad? You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. But how do I do that? Read Deuteronomy 22. It's right there in the Torah. That's how we hasten the coming of Messiah. The sages say that if all the Jews on the planet would just keep the Sabbath one time, Messiah would come. Just by keeping his commandments. By being obedient. Mm -hmm. I tell my son, today, I want you to mow the lawn, and when you're done, I want you to take the trash out. Is he an obedient son? Does he love me? How does he demonstrate this? By doing what I said. It's plain and simple. This hastens the coming of Messiah. You guys are studying the Bible. You're trying to make sure that your religion is correct. You are hastening the coming of Messiah. You're being righteous men. This does that. And Jews have been practicing that for quite a while. All the while, we Gentiles kill them because they're not like us. And they say, we're the chosen people. And we hate hearing that. We hate it. Nobody wants to hear that you're second place. I had an Orthodox rabbi come to my house. 
modern orthodox, so he's wearing a blue shirt. Comes to the door, he's going to teach our community. He gets there an hour early, rings the bell. We have a mezuzah on our door. It's a box. Inside the box are specific passages of scripture written by a sofer or a scribe in Jerusalem on parchment. It's the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. There's one God. Not a lot of gods. So it's in there. Because we're commanded to do it. It says, write this on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. We got one guy in our community actually wrote it with a sharpie on the doorpost. On the way into his garage, he's got the Shema written out with a sharpie. It's dedication. That's dedication. And you know what? It's a, it's a personal expression. You know why I did it with a mezuzah? Because when you come through my door and you see that, there's no mistake what I believe. Not that I need another Sharpie, but you know. And he looked at the mezuzah, and he looked at me, and he touched the mezuzah, and he kissed his fingers, and he started to commit. And I put my hand on his chest. And he looked a little frightened. I'm wearing a handgun. And uh, he looked at me, and I said, Rabbi, I want you to know that we're honored to have you in one house. I mean, I, I mean that with all my heart. He goes, oh, yeah, he tried to blow it up. I said, no, no, really. You were chosen by God. I wasn't. I had to be adopted later on into your faith, into the faith of my Messiah. I want you to know we are blessed just because you're coming under our roof. And I mean that with all my heart. He goes, I think you're serious. I said, I am serious. I said, you're coming to teach us tonight about what Jews believe about this, that, and the other? I want you to know, not one man, nobody, He's going to try and convince you to be a Christian. Nobody. And if the topic comes up, we're just not going to talk about it. Two o'clock in the morning, we still talk. And he's bringing up Messiah. You guys actually believe that, that the Holy One, blessed is he, actually raped a virgin of Israel? And, you know, we're like, What? No, no, who told you that? And he goes, that's what you believe. Monolithic fallacy. No, no, no. Maybe some other people believe that. Well, no, 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 we don't believe that. And we read to him, quoted from the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she was with child. It's a miracle. And he goes, that's, that sounds just like and he named several prophets in the past. The stories, just like that. So he says, tell me more. I told you we're not going to talk about uh, the Messiah tonight. He had never heard our side of the story. Yeshua can't be the, the Messiah. Why not? Did he, he broke the Sabbath. Who told you he broke the Sabbath? It's right there in your own Bible. No, no, no. The uninspired titles says he broke the Sabbath. But he didn't break the Sabbath. How do you know that? He couldn't break the Sabbath. He's the Messiah. He has to be without sin. To break the Sabbath would be a sin. If he did that, he'd disqualify. So he didn't break the Sabbath? No. 
But he taught his disciples that they didn't need to keep the commandments. Where do you get that? That's what you guys teach? Nope. They kept the commandments. They kept them all. Paul, at the end of his life, says he's a Pharisee, completely blameless according to the law. Really? Yeah, but we're not talking about Messiah tonight. This, uh, this rabbi sat on my couch about a year ago. Two sons-in-laws and my son and I, and we argued Messiah with him for well over an hour and a half. It was fabulous. He admitted to never having read the apostolic scriptures. I gave him a copy that had been translated into Hebrew. Promised to read it. That same rabbi officiated at my eldest daughter's wedding in Maryland. We've got a great story to tell, folks. Jesus is the Messiah, and the scriptures prove it. And the Jewish sages prove it as well. To see the trouble is, the scriptures say so much about what the Messiah will do. There's 90% do, and there's 10% spiritual stuff. And what did the master do in his first coming? The 10% spiritual stuff, like dying for our sins, shedding his blood, acting like a Passover lamb, acting like the red heifer, cleaning us from our contamination. But wait a minute, the, the Messiah is supposed to rebuild the temple. The Messiah is supposed to bring world peace. The Messiah is supposed to take care of all our enemies. Yes, he's going to do all of that. And then you just start to tell them about what the sages teach. Obviously, the sages were pretty confused. There seems to be a Messiah that's going to suffer and die. Like Joseph, suffering in prison and terrible. Like Isaac, being offered up as a sacrifice by his own father. This is terrible, Messiah ben Joseph. But there'll be another Messiah. And he will reign as a king. And it'll reign over all the world, not just in Jerusalem, but over the whole world. It'll be fabulous. And all of the nations will come and bow down to him. And if they don't do it, they won't get any rain. Because he's God. Whoa! Wait a second. Did you just say Messiah is God? Well, that's why they don't want the younger men to study the creation story too quickly. Because they may accidentally take the Lord's name in vain. Because they may not realize that Messiah was the agent of creation. But wait a second, that's what the Apostolic Scriptures teach. That he created all things and holds them together by his power. They teach what we believe. The only people, the only Jews who don't believe that are the ones that are drinking the liberal Kool-Aid that's been coming out the past 50 years. You sit down and talk to Orthodox Jews, it's unbelievable. That, that's your question? Yes. I apologize. No, that's not fascinating. So most people, when they think of, you know, and you, you definitely touched on this with the monolithic fallacy, but most people, myself included, when I hear Jew, I hear doesn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Right. So my question then is, you, know, you obviously have a different view of that. Where do you think those Jews stand in eternal life? 
Um, are they on the outside looking in? Yeah, I can. Or is there a trap door yeah. that they're going to get in? You know, Jim, I can tell you the answer. And it doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what God said. Yeah, of course. And what God said was twofold. First, at the name of Yeshua, every knee will bow. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Right. So if, you, if you're not in Messiah, you're in the kingdom. Right. Sorry about that. However, we need to remember that these guys are chosen. And we seem to forget that their chosen status actually still means something. They were, they were given the responsibility for holding on to the Word of God, for teaching the people, for keeping the commandments, to be a light to the Gentiles. Hello, we got it backwards now, don't we? And, you know, they did a real good job on some, fell down on some others. But Paul made it clear in Romans chapter 9, all the way through to 11. They are special. They're still special. And we should be honoring them as the ones that God chose because they are His people. And there is no salvation apart from them. We need to join them. Now, whether or not we practice like them, I'll leave that for you guys to figure out. But we need to be a part of Israel. Because there's no salvation apart from Israel. We're adopted sons in Israel. And Paul ends that whole thing by saying, when the Messiah comes, he says, what happened when the Messiah came the first time? They were blinded to it. It's like, how could you miss it? Hello? They're waiting for it. They knew where he was going to be born. They know everything about their Messiah experts. How could they miss it? They didn't. 200,000 of them over time in the first several years believed. It's not that they missed it. The religious leaders decided to miss it. Right? But their eyes were blinded. And what does Paul say? Their blindness gave you and me the option. We get the buy because they were blinded. If they weren't blinded and they all accepted, you have no future, baby. Because you weren't chosen. You missed out on the lot. But Paul says, if their blindness leads to our life, what will their what will their, their eyes being opened lead to? Resurrection. Life from the dead. That's Romans 11. He's saying that when Messiah comes, they will accept him as the Messiah. They will, Zechariah, look upon him who they pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And thus, here's the quote, all Israel shall be saved. I personally think it's only the ones that are still there who see him. So the ones that happen to pass beforehand, because that sounded a whole lot like a trap door to me. It did. What you but I saved it at the end. Yeah, I mean, you, you started it there with that last line. I gotta be honest. <laughs> thank you. Thank I'm you. like, he told me there's yeah, no trap yeah, door. Yeah, now yeah. he's describing a trap door. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, this is a classic textbook trap door. Um, <laughs> interesting. Yes. Um, first thing, I want you on my team whenever we play Bible trivia. <laughs> Second thing, um, you, you, I, 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 if, if I remember correctly, um, you followed the 613 commandments, correct? I followed all the commandments, yes. Um, we were discussing this last week. In, um, if, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. Um, since? 
Jesus is the Messiah. Since Jesus is the Messiah, like in Jeremiah and some other ones, he's you know paraphrasing. Yes, dude, don't worry about that stuff in the past. Really? So that's a, so that's a poor paraphrase. Was well. Well, let me ask you. Let's let's just, let's just do Jeremiah. Like Je- Jeremiah thirty-one. How about Jeremiah 31, 33 through thirty-five? Yes. Yeah. So new covenant. Right. What's the difference between the new covenant? By the way, did you notice that the new covenant is in the Old Testament? Hello. So. Do you think that anybody that's a part of the old covenant has a place in the world to come? I don't know, man. You got me all confused. Well, come on now. <laughs> I think so. I think so because you used to the do old like all and always. Oh, they all. Then you start dropping in like nevers. Okay. And so now I don't know what to think. I would tell you that according to the Bible, if you remember the old covenant, you were lost in your trespasses and sins. You have to be a part of the new covenant in order to have a place in the world to come. But what is that new covenant all about? He says, it's not like the covenant I made with the fathers. And if you read it carefully, you'll see. I will write my Torah, my law, not on tablets of stone, but on the fleshy tables of their heart. I will write it on their hearts, and they will all know me. We will be intimate. Right? So, it's not a new law. It's not no law. It's just a different medium. You won't have to learn it. It'll be written on your heart. And I believe it's written on your heart right now. I believe that not all of the new covenant has come to pass yet. But I believe that we've been empowered, we've been enabled, and we've been taught. And we should be keeping it. There's no reason we shouldn't be. Let me give you an example of the high ground. I'll just go with it. If it falls flat, it's okay. I believe the scriptures are clear in the Torah that God says that swine is an abomination to him. I can give you chapter and verse. Leviticus 11, in case you want. Swine is an abomination. Later on, he says that homosexuality is an abomination. Same word, same description. Now, I'm in the marketplace, and this guy comes up to me and says, you're one of those Christians. Well, I'm a weird one, but yes. <laughs> so, um, so do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? And my pat answer is, it doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what God said. And yes, homosexuality was and is a sin. In fact... The apostolic scriptures go a little further. Homosexuals, revilers, swindlers, etc., etc., will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, don't you think that was then and this is now? Don't you think that God has changed? No, I don't think he's like a man that he should change. In him there is no shadow of turning. Yeshua is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you eat pork? No. It's an abomination, just like homosexuality. Boom. The argument stops. Larry King argued with a homosexual and a pastor. The homosexual said, it's not a sin anymore. And the pastor said, yes, it is. And Larry King jumped on the pastor and said, do you eat barbecue? Yes. 
Doesn't he call that an abomination, just like you just called homosexuality? Yeah, but that what? And now he starts the gymnastics. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go through the gymnastics. So they're, they still apply. Yeah. We just need to choose to do them. You know the funny thing is? I've been sitting where you're sitting. There may be like 14 you're not doing. You don't have to wear these where anybody can see them. You don't even have to wear them. It doesn't say how often. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wear a kippah. That's not even the word of God. Kippah, actually in, in uh, Aramaic, when I grew up in New York, this was called a yarmulke. It comes from a compound Aramaic word. Yare, fear. Malke, king. Fear of the king. I wear it in fear of the king. In reverence to him, I cover my head so that I remember, as Paul said, I remember that I'm a man under authority. That's all. But keeping the Sabbath is probably the, the only one that we really need to work on in the visible expression of the church today. It was six days and then one, right? It wasn't one and then six. Okay. Now, do you believe that we're in that sixth day, seventh day, in 200 years? When you, with the 6,000 years, yes, sir. you said many Jews believe that in the next couple hundred years, Jesus yes. is coming back. Do you believe, do you agree with that? Believe? Absolutely. In fact, I'm hoping he comes back in the next 15 or 20 minutes. So, sure, I mean, we can all hope that. So then how do you reconcile that with Jesus when he said, I'll come like a thief in the night? I think he will. No man knows the hour of the day. Do you? No, but, okay. you, but you have some predictive power, which... I do. You're saying that I'm just years. saying that the sages are using a pattern to say man will reign for 6,000 years and then Messiah will reign for 1,000. You believe in the millennial reign of Christ, don't you? Of course. Well, there you go. So how does yours differ? You just don't know how long the first part's going to be? That's okay. They say 6,000. Are they right? Who knows? Remember what the rabbi said. The Messiah comes. What happens after that 1,000? Okay. And actually, I'm going to throw a second part on that question. When Jesus does come, do we get raptured up first, or do we have to stay for the fight? Okay. That's what I want to know. Okay. It's really the only thing. Easy ones there. Yeah. yeah. Talk about another hour class. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, so let, let me. Two I'm, 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 the only single one. Sorry. Two So I'm going to give the short answer first. And then if you want to dig into it, maybe we can look at some of these others real quick. And we can always come back to that. I'm, I'm, I'm at your service. Um, I believe that the scriptures teach very clearly that there are two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. I believe that the scripture teaches that there are two parts of time. There's this present world, the Olam Hazeh, and the world to come, the Olam Haba. Okay? The sages teach, and I think the scriptures bear out, that Messiah will reign on this planet, in Jerusalem, and sit on the throne of his father David. Right? And he will reign here for a thousand years. If we're here, then that reign of Messiah is part of the Olam Hazeh. It's part of this present world. And then at the end of that thousand years, according to Revelation chapter 19, uh, the Satan, Hasatan, had been bound, chained for a thousand years, and at the end of the thousand years, he will be released 
to deceive the nations. That's Gentiles, by the way. That's the word for Gentiles. To deceive the Gentiles one last time. And then we get a major battle, and they're wiped out. And in that, the earth is damaged. And a new heaven, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven on a new or renewed planet. And that begins the Olam Haba, the world to come. And no man has a place in the world to come unless he believes in Messiah Yeshua. And that's the city of gold and you bet. all that stuff. Absolutely. And I, I can give you writings of the rabbis from before the master's birth that will you would swear, if you weren't real familiar with Revelation, you hadn't read it in a, in a year or two, you'd swear it seems like Revelation, but it's, I don't think it is. I mean, the chapters are all off, and I don't get it. It's amazing. Of course, John was an Orthodox Jew. So, your question My was, question was, was I don't remember chronology the question. with the rapture. Yeah. So, rapture actually comes from the Latin Vulgate, rapturo, which means to catch up or to catch away. Okay? Um, we see this uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 where it says that uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together, caught up, okay? Uh, harpazo, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Um, when I'm praying uh, with a minion, that would be ten righteous men, uh, we do this each Sabbath morning at ten o'clock. Um, well, just like the Master did. And uh, I'll be wearing a prayer shawl and it's just a vehicle to have these on. Um, so it's a four-cornered garment, and I'll put it on, and I've got two tzitzit in the front, and two tzitzit in the back. And I flip the corners up, so it looks like a cool cape. <laughs> sort of a, and with a handgun, I mean, it's, it's a picture. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, a picture. That, that, that's the real piece. Yeah, right? oh yeah. Um, so we do, we do broadcast that live. Um, so you can watch that on uh, second and fourth Shabbat. In fact, this we get absolutely um, this uh, this Shabbat this this Sabbath uh, that's the seventh day. Um, it's nine thirty. Thank you. At ten o'clock, I'm gonna get one of those. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, that's at, really cool. At ten o'clock, we'll start the prayers, and uh, we'll, I think we're gonna have almost seventy people there um, this uh, this Sabbath. But anyway, um, we we go through the liturgical prayers, probably not unlike you guys do, and. Uh, it's it's all building, you know, in emotion and coolness and discussions and praise and worship and all that kind of deal. And there's a lot of singing. There's a lot of it in Hebrew, um, and it culminates with what's called the uh, Amidah, the standing prayer. Okay, uh, it's also called the Shmone Esrei, the 18 benedictions. Now on the Sabbath we remove about four or five of those blessings because they have to do with praying for stuff that won't apply in the days of Messiah or in the Olam Haba. And the Sabbath, we believe, is dress rehearsal for the days of Messiah. So we don't do anything that we won't do when Messiah is here. Here's an example. In the 18 benedictions, we pray for the sick. So I pray that each morning at, uh, before I go to work, and I'll pray for my kids. I may actually throw you in there too. 
And you know, we pray for the sick, whether physically, spiritually, whatever it may be. And he singled me out. And then on the Sabbath, that piece is left out. That whole paragraph is gone. Because there won't be any sickness. Exactly right. Because he will heal all our wounds and there'll be no more tears, no more death. So we take that out. But anyway, at the point where we're about to get to the Amidah, we do the Shema. Shema is actually a compilation of three different sections of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and Numbers chapter 15. And they're kind of put together. And we're, we're literally praying Scripture back to God. It's actually pretty cool. And, you know, I'm sitting down now, right? Because we're not up to the Amidah. So I'm sitting down, and I got my Talit on, and every guy around me has his Talit on. So I got two strings between my legs, and I've got two strings hanging somewhere behind me. And as we get to the end of this lead up, and we're about to do the Shema, cover your eyes, and we sing the Shema. Um, right before that, we pray. If you just bear with me a second, it'd be probably better if I quote it. Yeah, we don't want another poor paraphrase. Don't you hate that? <laughs> blew it, dude. You had your chance to blow it. <laughs> okay. Patriarchal blessing. Here we go. Um, here's what we lead up to. Jews always pray out loud. I don't know if you know that. Jews always pray out loud. Remember Hannah in the Bible? Hannah. All Jews? All, all denominations of Jews? Because well, as we went through... Oh, there's, no, there's a monolithic, monolithic yeah, fallacy, right? right, right. I, I follow the Orthodox traditions. Right. Orthodox Jews pray out loud. Conservative Jews pray out loud. All Jews pray out loud. Hannah, she's heartbroken. She wants a son. So she goes up to the temple and she starts to pray. Eli, the priest, sees her and scolds her. Why? He thinks that she's drunk. Why does he think she's drunk? Because her lips are moving. And she's swaying back and forth, because that's what we do when we pray. Because we get a lot to pray through, and we just want to get a good rhythm, you know, and you move the hips. And, yeah. you know. So she thinks, he thinks she's drunk. And she says, no, 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 it's, you know, I'm not drunk. And the same thing happened with Peter. They thought he was drunk, too. That Jewish prayer stuff, you got to watch. It gets a little hairy. Is that that powdered alcohol that you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. So, um... So Jews, when they're praying, are always out loud. So I will pray, and I, and I will pray out loud, but only loud enough so that I and God can hear it, but not the man standing or sitting next to me. But it's all out loud. And then the chazan, the guy who's leading the prayers, which is normally me or one of the other guys, will say something so that we all stay in sync, because we're really praying kind of quietly, and we just all want to stay in sync. And then there are other times we pray out loud together. Makes a lot of sense because I was on a plane one time and there was a guy that was clearly Jewish just yeah. based on his dress and yeah. his mannerisms. Yeah. And he, he was praying out loud. Yeah. And I figured it was some custom, but yeah. now I understand there it. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, enlighten our eyes in your Torah, attach our hearts to your commandments, and unify our hearts to love and fear your name. And may we not feel inner shame for all eternity because we have trusted in your great and awesome holy name. May we exult and rejoice in your salvation. That word is Yeshua. Bring us in peacefulness from the four corners of the earth and lead us with upright pride to our land. 
when we read and pray that line, every guy in the room grabs the two in the front, finds the two in the back, because we are gathering our zitzit from the four corners of our garment in the same way that he will gather his people from the four corners of the earth and he will bring them together. He will snatch them away and bring them to heaven. No, to Israel where he will reign as king. So, for you affect salvations, O God. You have chosen us from among every people and tongue and you have brought us close to your great name forever and truth to offer praiseful thanks to you and proclaim your oneness with all. So, Where is that? What did you just read? Um, I read from the Orthodox prayers. And when you read from the Orthodox prayers, if you have the sitter, the prayer book, every, I mean, most of the page is made up of footnotes. And it's all scripture references. So, um, he will gather his people from the four corners of the earth as in the prophets. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. I apologize for what I shouldn't I'm a new. Yes. Give me time. It's pretty, it's pretty slack, man. Hey, damn rookies. <laughs> I knew we picked the wrong guy. Yes. So the answer to your question is, um, we will battle or we will not battle. Well, I think the script. It doesn't really matter. I don't know. I mean, with Jesus being now in, he being in the mix, on the right team. You know what I mean? We're clearly on the right team, and he's now here. So I wouldn't necessarily. He's gonna pick the guy to test Austin. I don't know that I would necessarily. I, I mean, I'll be one of them. Probably the black. Actually, probably the black. Probably the black. I'll clearly. I mean, I don't know that I'll feel afraid, but you know what I mean. I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'll, gi- I'll give you a, a quick, a quick deal on myself. Um, the book of Daniel, chapter nine, beginning in verse twenty-four, starts to talk about a three and a half year period, and another three and a half year period that are mashed together. So it's a seven-year period, or a week, or a seven, as it were. So I'm counting sevens, as you know now, as we count the Uma, right? Mm-hmm. So we're counting sevens. It's the same phraseology as in Daniel 24. So in the, in the 70th week of Daniel, this last seven-year period, one will rise up, not unlike Antiochus Epiphanes, that Assyrian. In fact, Jesus said, remember the book of Daniel, let the reader understand. And he was pointing right back to that. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 17. That we should remember what that guy did and how it all happened. He came in and cleaned house, and it was unpleasant. He set up an abomination, slaughtered a pig on the altar. It was nasty. A priest named Matthias actually took one of these guys out and started the Maccabean revolt. The Maccabees, the priests. They took over the priesthood. They became the kings. Now you've got priests sitting as kings. That's not going to work. Didn't last very long. At any rate, a seven-year period, it says this evil one will rise up. They call him in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the anti-Torah man. So is, that the, is that what we typically refer to as the, the Antichrist? Antichrist, yeah. yeah. Um, he's not so much anti-Messiah as he is anti-law. Anamas. He's non-law. He's the anti-Torah man. And that's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as well as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, so what will happen is um, he stands up and brings peace. Not war. He starts off with peace. Buddy-buddy with the Jews. To give the illusion. I showed you that uh, Temple Mount 
Do you know that you and I can go up to the Temple Mount? They won't let me up because I'm wearing these. They'll let you up. They won't let me up because they think I'm Jewish. They won't let any Jew up there. Try and get up there with a prayer book, they won't let you. Jews can't get to their own holiest site. The Temple Mount, by the way, is where Abraham sacrificed, or was about to sacrifice Isaac. So he will allow them to start the sacrifices again. A lot of people think we need a temple built for that. We don't. You just need an altar. Be about that big. We're looking good. That's a quick setup. So this anti-Torah man will allow the Jews to begin their sacrifice. So, of course, they think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So they sign a covenant with him. Isaiah says that's a covenant with death. Bad news. Bad time. For them. You bet. For us. They didn't we know that we're they very didn't, close now. Though. They didn't choose wisely. When you see that packed sign, we're pretty close. Check the watch, should be about three and a half years, because right. in the three and a half year mark, it says that he will break the treaty, stop the sacrifices, and things get really, really bad. I'll just cut to the chase and say the master said it gets so bad at that point that uh, the writer of Matthew uses the, the Greek word katabala, to cut off or to amputate, which means to make something shorter that was actually intended to be longer. So that seven-year period is cut short by the coming of Messiah. And had he not cut it short, there might no flesh be saved. So it's going to get really, really bad. So if we believe that we'll be caught up, whether you think we're going over there or over there, it doesn't matter. We're going somewhere and caught up. It doesn't appear that it's until everything gets really, really, yeah, really some, bad. At some point in the seven years. Yeah, so right. I'm thinking, always pack. I was just gonna say, yeah. Moral of the story: can't hurt. You need to go. Keep reloading. Keep reloading. <laughs> and you need to make out. your own bullets to take the cost per bullet down. Primers are really hard to yeah. find. You need to stock up on those. Um, Exodus twenty-five. You read that? With the 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 concept, really? What was the concept there of Exodus twenty-five? Remember? Uh, it was yeah, lots of. Uh, there was a lot of stuff. Lots of detail in the that thing. Was, right? uh, that was the ark. Yeah. God doesn't ask for crappy things. Right. Right. Gotta give them first fruits. Okay. So, in verse 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That's the key for Exodus chapter 25. Let them make a sanctuary for me that I may dwell in their midst. This is important. How does the book of John open up? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Dwelt among us. That's the whole goal. So that's the uh, marching orders. In chapter 35, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. That is a capital crime to violate the Sabbath. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Again, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord 
Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, gold, purple, scarlet, yarn, fine, twelve, gold, pants, skin, the whole deal, and they're going to make the tabernacle. They're going to make the tabernacle. So in 25, make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. In 35, they start building it. Before they start building, he reminds them, hey guys, this is really important. I mean, God, God, God himself, the creator of the universe, is actually going to dwell with us. This is amazing. But remember, we've still got to keep this out. I mean, this is important, but not that important. They get all the way to the end. He tells them everything that they got to build. He says, by the way, don't forget the Sabbath. It's really important. So what happens in chapter 40. Didn't Jesus heal people on the Sabbath in the Gospels? Absolutely. And don't some, don't some, or didn't some, potentially the Pharisees, some people view that as work? Didn't Absolutely. some people have a problem with that? Absolutely. So, so what's, the reconcil- right what's, now. what's the reconciliation there? Well, the Orthodox will tell you right now. Life trumps everything. Okay. And the Torah says that. If you see a donkey sure. under its load on the Sabbath, you're supposed to pick the donkey up and get rid of the load. You help the animal. When he healed the woman who had been all right. crippled over, what did he say? She's been bound by Satan for all these years. I mean, you'll untie the donkey, but you won't. Come on, guys, get it straight. There is a priority. There is a greatest commandment, and there is a least commandment. But life, the sages teach. This is before the master. The sages have always taught. It says, these are the commandments that you shall live by them. Not die by them. Live by them. So life comes up. Uh, chapter 40. It's a cool chapter. It finishes up in verse 34. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. Um, Oh, Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all the journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out all that day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So in 25, they're told, make me a sanctuary that I must dwell among them. In 35, they actually start building it. They're reminded about the Sabbath. And in chapter 40, they finish. And it says, Moses did everything according exactly as the Lord had said. And what happens? The Shekinah, the glory of God, actually came down and came into the tabernacle. In a word, it worked. But there's a problem. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. So he can dwell among us, but we can't go visit. And the first five chapters of Leviticus fix that problem. Because we're unclean. We're in a world with death. And God is not the author of life. He is life itself. He's not just good. He is the epitome of goodness. In him is good. And there is no evil. There is no death. So if we come into his presence, Moses tried, holiest man on the planet. Couldn't get in. Leviticus 1 through 5, we've got the, the various five sacrifices. Lots of sacrifices. Yeah. There's only for, for one or two of them sense. have to do with sin. One's a peace offering, a thanksgiving offering, it's a guilt offering, all kinds of stuff. It's, but by doing this, 
the fire came down. Aaron was able to go in. The priests were able to get. We can now approach because of this sacrificial system. Had nothing to do with Jesus. Has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with us physically in these bodies susceptible to sin approaching the physical presence of God on this planet. Grade school. Hebrew kids. Has been this way since the beginning. Since this wall, when it came out. It's this way today. Five-year-olds. Hebrew school. It's the very first thing they learn. They memorize. Leviticus chapters 1 through 5. First thing children are taught. The first time they read from the Torah, they touch the scroll, they dip their finger in honey, so that they'll remember that the word of God should be sweet on their lips. How'd you do? Did you memorize it? Leviticus chapters 1 through 5. Five-year-old kids know it by heart. It's the first thing they're taught, because those sacrifices will allow them to draw close, to draw near to the very presence of God here on this planet while we're still in these silly bodies. Remember Ephesians chapter 2? I put it up before. You were far off. You were aliens. You were strangers to the covenant. But he's allowed us to, Gentiles, to draw near to him. And so we can. We've got to be able to do the sacrifices. Pretty strong for a five-year-old. Yeah. Come home when are you going to start seizing on this? Un- unbelievable. And not only that. Four years, three months. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you talk to Orthodox children, you know, six years old, seven years old. Name all the birds in the bottom. In order. They just rattle them off. And they know where they are. What our congregation does, along with all of Israel, every Shabbat, is we read the portion of the uh, Torah for that week. The sages set it up. The master did the same thing. Remember, it says he was in the, in the uh, um, synagogue in his hometown, and uh, or in the visiting town, I think, and uh, he's an honored guest. So they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and read from it, which, by the way, is sung always. So he sang. Yes, he does sing. He sang in Hebrew. And then he sat down and began to teach. Because in that day, the rabbi sat and the students stood. Out of deference. But that's what he did. And we do the same thing. This past thousand years, Jews go through a one-year Torah cycle. Rosh Hashanah, September-ish. They get the Feast of Tabernacles. When the Feast of Tabernacles ends, we start with Genesis 1. We come together on what's called... uh, the uh, rejoicing of the Torah. It's it's a holiday in Leviticus 23. And Simchat uh, Torah. We'll get our whole congregation together in the evening and we'll get little strips of paper and we've got the 54 portion readings breaking out the Torah from Genesis 1 to Deuteronomy 34. And everybody takes one and then the youngest child in the room that can read stands up and reads Genesis chapter 1 out loud. As soon as he's done, everybody starts to read their portion of the Torah out loud at the same time. It's an amazing thing. You're surrounded by the very instructions of God. You're surrounded by the Bible. 
It's amazing. You take a break to get drink some water, and you look over and you see Steve, and you can hear his voice through the din. You can just pick it right out of a crowd. And you're tired because I can see him, and I know his voice, and I can hear it through the whole crowd. You can see your own daughter, and she's reading about the crossing of the Red Sea. It's an amazing thing. It takes about 45 minutes, maybe an hour, depending on how many people we got. And then when everybody's done, there's only one chapter that hasn't been read. It's the last chapter of Deuteronomy. And the oldest man in our congregation, with the gray hair, will sit down and we'll all stand. And he'll read out loud the last chapter. And when we're done, we party like you wouldn't believe. But that starts the cycle. The very next Sabbath, we'll be reading from Genesis 1 to the back end of Genesis 5. The following week, we start in Genesis 6 with Noah. And each one has a name taken out of the first line of it, so we can remember them. This week is Kedoshim, the Holy Ones. And we're in Leviticus 19. It's pretty cool. In the Master's Day, the Torah cycle took three years. I find it consoling that the Master was with his disciples for one Torah cycle. In three years, they had gone through it all. And then he was lifted up. Because he was done. He went through and showed them himself on every page of the Torah. And that's what I teach my children now. Every Sabbath. So we'll have that prayer service at 10. Right about 11 o'clock, we're done praying, and we start the Torah service. Now, we don't have one of these big, expensive Torahs, because we're Gentiles. So I got a little, you know, $95 one. And I'll take it down off of the shelf and one of the guys will parade it around and we'll sing and dance and all that and then we'll open it up and it's in Hebrew so they'll move it to the correct portion and they'll cover it up and then seven men will get called up one at a time to read the portion and we are reading the portion at the same time and reading exactly the same words that Orthodox communities around the planet are reading there's a unity there that you can't comprehend in Hebrew um we, uh, any guy who can sing it and chant it, I don't know if you know, but the Torah, the, the, the five books of Moses, it's a love song from God. It is a song. And there's actually cantillation marks in there so you know how to sing it. And it, it, yeah, and I, I can play some of it for you if you want, but um, I'm not that good at it yet. Um, so yeah, each guy will get up. We'll do the blessing before reading Torah, which we sing. Um, uh, I do it for you, but I'm, I'm embarrassed. Um, but uh, you'd sing the blessing before reading the Torah. And I take my seat off my tallit, which I can actually move around because they're not stuck to my pants. And I would touch it to the beginning of the reading, kiss that, and then I would read my section. Because I get called up. Arise, Yosef ben Yosef. And I get called to the Torah, I do the blessing, I read it, I, I sing the blessing after reading the Torah, and then the goodbye, the man who's in charge of the Torah readings, who's been watching and making sure that I don't misread, then blesses me. I'm coming up in honor of the Torah, in honor of Messiah Yeshua, in honor of the Sabbath, and so on. And it's a cool blessing. In fact, it's so cool that as I step away from the bima, where the Torah is, every guy in the community is rushing up to try and shake my hand so he can get a little bit of the blessing himself. It's just a tradition, but it's pretty cool. And it's pretty cool to see your children watch you go up. And they're just awestruck. And then as, I, as my butt hits the chair, here, arrives. Yehoshua ben Uziel, and another guy comes up. And seven of them come up. But the seventh guy that gets called up, special. Actually, the eighth guy. Um, he reads the Maftir, 
He's reading the same last three verses that the guy before him read. It's the last three verses of the portion. So it's like repeated. But it's just a game to get him up there. So he does the uh, and he, he does the, the blessing before reading the Torah, and he reads three verses, and there's the blessing after reading the Torah. He gets blessed, but he doesn't sit down. And he does the blessing before reading the prophet reading. Because the sages took a prophet reading, a reading from the prophets that matched up what was happening in the Torah reading so that the prophets were read as well. And he'll read the prophet reading. It's a very honored position. And if we have a guest come to our community, like if you come with your wife and your children, we would have you go up and read that. And when you're done reading that, you would then read the blessing after reading the Haftarah or the prophet reading. And in our community, since we're Messianic, then you, not another man, but you, would call up your wife. And she would come up with her head covered. And she would do the blessing before reading the apostolic scriptures. Blessing God for the Messiah Yeshua, who shed his blood for us. And then she would read a portion from the apostolic writings that fits with the prophet reading and the Torah reading. And then both of you would get blessed again, and you would go sit down. And then we'd read the Torah around a little bit more, we'd do a couple more blessings. And then we have Kiddush, where we'll bless God for the wine, and for the bread, and then a manjah. And then we eat. It's called oneg, it's called delight. And we'll have an hour, that'll last until noon. So then we start eating. We'll eat for an hour. Everybody's brought something. Um, uh, Isaiah 58, uh, I think verse 10 says that if you make the Sabbath a delight, if you uh, relish in my day and you turn your feet from your own pleasure and you don't speak your words, but you speak my words, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will bless you. That's onek, if you delight in the Sabbath. So we have what's called onek. This is the covered dish. And then we get into the whole kosher thing, you know, and we have it, and we have plenty of wine, and the kids are outside playing, and we do it till 1 o'clock. And then at 1 o'clock, I call everybody back inside. And everybody sits down now with their Bibles, their notepads, and we'll sing the Birkat Hamazon, the blessing after we eat. Deuteronomy chapter 8, I believe verse 10, is a command there, 1 of those 6.13. After you eat and you're satisfied, you should bless the Lord your God for the food and for the nourishment, lest you forget the Lord your God in your heart. So blessing God for the food before we eat is a tradition. Blessing God after we eat is a command. At a minimum, we pound the table. Bless God for the food and for the land. But we'll sing the whole deal. And it's like four pages long. And it's a cool song. And we'll do uh, um, most of that in Hebrew, uh, depending on if we've got some noobs with us. So that's, uh, that's the deal. Once we're, is this? Is this? It's in my house. That's so my living room. My whole congregation meets in my house. Yeah. So uh, once we're done with that uh, blessing, um, then we'll do the Bible study. We're, we're going to study the portion that we just read. We just read it. Now we're going to talk about it. Where do we see Messiah? On which page do we see him? In what way is Messiah here? And we'll... It's awesome. We have people that tune in from Wisconsin, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, um, faraway places like Gastonia. We've got one guy in Germany. Uh, we've got a family out on the West Coast. Uh, you know, just all over the world that don't have a Torah community like ours that they can be a part of. And that's why we started uh, streaming it out there. And, uh, yeah... So that's what the Sabbath's like.
I'd, I'd love to have you guys visit. This Sabbath isn't a good time to visit. We've got a lot of visitors coming. There's a family of 11 coming from High Point, and uh, a family um, of four children and their parents, six, six people, have been kind of meeting with that family because they're in High Point. I mean, it's over an hour and a half away. And they've been watching on Tuesday nights for our men's class because we have a 7 o'clock, we have a, a men's class, and uh, that's streamed as well. And the audio for that is online. It's uh, podcasted on iTunes. Um, but they've been watching that. We had a rabbi from Colorado watching uh, last week. And uh, so these guys are coming down with their families. So I've got an extra, what is that, 11 and 6, 17 people. Um, and then... Um, we, it's 10 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. We started a uh, tour community in Canada. They were watching us for about five years and listening online. So my son and I flew up to Canada and helped them with the Sabbath prayers and what to do and all that. And they've got a community up in the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, two of their elders are driving down tomorrow um, to be with us on the Sabbath. So we'll have uh, Arab Shabbat meet with us on Friday night where my wife will light the candles and we'll do the blessings and uh, have some awesome meal. And then they'll be there on Shabbat. So it'll be full, full time. AC will be uh, working overtime. So I'd, I'd love to have it done. So does that make sense? Does this... This, this cook? Um, yeah, what's, what's the word sit? Are you all Catholic? You're Catholic. I, I don't know. I don't think any of us are Catholic. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you call yourselves? Christian. I mean, I call myself Christian. Okay. If somebody says, well, what kind of Christian are you? Well, you're not my kind of Christian. A safe one. Maybe not, but yeah, I'll just <laughs> call myself a Christian. Are you I was raised Catholic, and I went to Catholic high school. Okay. I don't know how many boxes that checks for you, but... Well, I, I, go, I don't know that I hold it against you, but uh, yeah. my dad was Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you so you were Catholic, but you're not now. Are you Protestant? No. Christian. Just kind of non-denomination? It's monolithic. I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to, yeah. I don't oh, need to go into the trap I'm in the trap room. I say Christian and raised Methodist. Christian, raised Methodist, so was I. My mother was the church organist in the United uh, Methodist Church for 20 years. I've got more medals from the Methodist Church Sunday School program than I do from 10 years in the Army. How about you? I was raised in a Presbyterian church. God bless you. Part of the Frozen Chosen. That's super. Yeah. <laughs> raised Baptist. Raised Baptist. God bless you. Pound that table, brother. I love it. That's good. My wife and I uh, got married in a Baptist church and were uh, participating in the Baptist faith for quite some time. And the Church of Charlotte, kind of non-denominational, what else? Your dad's Catholic, no? Dad's Catholic, I mean, I was... No. Raised Catholic. Not practicing. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I find that when people say to me, I didn't know you were Jewish. What's my response? Well, you're not... I'm not. No. Right. But I'm not so Jewish. what would you call yourself? You're not, you're not an Orthodox Jew. He's right? an adopted son. Because in, I'm, I'm just making sure I understand correctly. An Orthodox Jew does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's, a, that's not a true statement. Oh, it's not. Okay. How many, how many, how many Orthodox Jews need to believe in Messiah Yeshua before you retract that? I don't know. One, two. And don't get into that monolithic fallacy to say that Orthodox Jews don't believe in Messiah. So then, so then what differentiates an, an Orthodox Jew from a conservative? Orthodox has to do with the practice. Okay. How Orthodox is my practice. I'd say I'm conservadox, which is just a made-up word, 
to, to indicate to a Jew who knows what I'm talking about, I'm more conservative than any conservative Jew in this town. In fact, when we went to Temple Israel, he's a Jew, looks at me, we have, you know, he, he comes over to our house for a meal, and he looks at me and he says, Joseph, you're, you're more Jewish than I am. I said, you should be ashamed of yourself. Isn't that terrible? So if you're conservative, then what would an Orthodox Jew do differently from you? For one thing, um, I don't want to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Um, There's no turning back now. You, yeah, that's already happened. Really, an Orthodox Jew um, would have a much stricter halakha. For example, an Orthodox Jew would probably be Shomer Shabbos, which means that he's guarding or keeping the Sabbath, which means that he will not drive on the Sabbath. You see the guys, the Orthodox, walking up Providence Road and down towards Sardis and stuff like that, so they won't walk, they won't, they won't drive. Um, a lot of times they won't flip a light switch, okay? Um, they certainly won't light the stove. Now, a lot of that, I do. I mean, there's no way I'm gonna light that, that gas stove, because I'm, I'm not supposed to kindle a fire uh, in my dwelling place, so I'm not gonna do that. Mm -hmm. But flip the switch, oh yeah. I mean, you know, we're not supposed to grind. We're not supposed to pick weeds, you're not supposed to work. So, you know, well, what's work mean? You know, that kind of deal. So, so it's an interpretation thing. It's of Halakha, right? sure. of how we practice, okay. absolutely. Got it. Got it. But the faith, that's pretty much. Okay, so, okay, so that's the difference between Orthodox and It's practice, oh, got it. got it's it. practice. That and a lot, a lot of Orthodox want to avoid looking like, sounding like, and being a part of the world. So modern Orthodox would wear colors like I am, wear Haredi or uh, Hasid, you know, the black hats, the black coats, which I think look pretty cool. Especially if you've got a black holster. I mean, you know. And a Glock. So you would call yourself a conservative? Yeah, conservative. Christian? Yeah, okay, so um, that's a good question. If somebody says, I didn't know you were Jewish, I would say, I'm not. Are you? Now, they look like you guys. So they think that's kind of, they'll go, no, no, why would you say that? Well, why would you ask me if I'm Jewish? Well, I see the kippah, and I see the strings, and all that. Is it right? Yeah. Well, it's biblical, then. Jewish. The Bible says to do this, not Jews. The only reason we call it Jewish is because the Jews are the only ones that have been doing it. Right. So, unfortunately, I was not chosen by God to be a Jew. I'm just a Gentile. But I've been adopted into the family of God and his chosen people. And my Messiah is a Jew. So, I mean, I can roll with that. Harris Teeter line, doesn't matter how long it is. I got you. I got you for at least 20. Yeah, we may even go out to the car together. I'm carrying the bags. Yeah, we just, we got the wrap going. Speaking of God, speaking of having people for 20, I'm sure you guys have other questions. I want more. So, I'm just curious. So, like, when you don't have an opportunity to do a PowerPoint presentation and you can't go into as much detail as you have tonight, which has been fantastic, if you come across a non believer and that, that, through some happenstance or set of circumstances, you've, you've piqued their interest or you, you can sense that they're open to hearing God. If you only had five minutes, what, what, would, you, what, what would be your go-to message? Yeah. What would okay. you roll so, with in five minutes? Okay. Um, on Monday nights, we, we answer questions just like that. Monday, uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday nights. Our Tuesday night men's group is called Men of Torah. Um, it's called a tzaddik class. Tzaddik is a righteous man. Okay? And we're, we're commanded to be righteous men. Righteous men don't violate his, his law. Um, this has nothing to do with the righteousness of Messiah, which gives me a place in the world to come. I'm supposed to be righteous on this planet. You don't expect me to steal stuff from your house while I'm here, because you expect that I'm a righteous man. 
the inside and the outside should match. If the inside is clean by Messiah, the outside should be just as clean. All right, so um, so Tuesday nights is what you know. We'll we'll toss that up, and you know we'll do a whole series on it like that. So the question is, who am I talking to? Because if your concert B flat Christian says to me, "What church do you go to?" They really don't want to know about my faith. No. They just want to know where I'm going so they can put me in a bucket. Right. I'm bucketless. I mean, I mean, genuine interest. All right. So genuine interest from a believer or a non-believer? Non-believer. From a non-believer. So I need to know: is the non-believer practicing any faith? Do I see any average signs no. of anything? Just, no. So he's atheist. So, yeah. so he's a pagan, right? Right. I mean, that's what the Bible calls him. He's a pagan, heathen, no faith, no God. All right. Like, like, just picture Brad. No, there it is. If you okay. need a visual. Okay. Um, <laughs> How do you get in here? So yeah, now, <laughs> I would like to hope that my evangelistic work would be identical to yours. Okay. Which we're called in the in Matthew. To, I mean, the, without question, we're called. Absolutely, we're commanded to do so. But it was long before Matthew, because I want to challenge you. There's no commands in the apostolic scriptures. There cannot be any there that did not originate in the Torah. Have to be there. The back end of Deuteronomy 12 and the beginning of Deuteronomy 13 makes it clear. Can't have any more commands. We got all the commands. We're done with commands. If somebody gives you other commands, he didn't come from God. Which is why the master made it a point to say, whoa, whoa, not my words. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm only saying what he said. Okay. So from an evangelism perspective, I'm going to try and pick up on something that person is doing or saying. They're going to give up some, 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 some tell, tell. right? Yeah. There's going to be some clue. Like maybe they're into guns. Maybe they're haplophobic and they're afraid of guns. Maybe they don't know why I would carry a gun. So I'm going to focus on the gun, and I'm going to try and get in conversation. I'm going to make it clear to them that I have an obligation given by God to defend my family. And in fact, I demonstrate love for my brother, which includes you, by the way, by protecting them from all evil, if it's in my power to do so. Because God's all about life. Come to my house, let's talk about it. Let's go shooting together. I want to develop a relationship, but make it clear from the get-go, I do have an ulterior motive. There's no bait and switch with me. You know exactly where I'm coming from when I'm talking to you. Now, if you happen to be a Muslim, we're going to have a different conversation. If you're a Hindu, a Buddhist, you're going to get a different rap because I'm going to hit your face straight up. So you really don't think that the, the Mormon Bible is the word of God. Do you, I, mean, you, I mean, do you think Joseph was drinking that day? Or what's the deal with that? The golden plates. Let's talk. Come on. Right, yeah. No, really. Come on. <laughs> you know? Or the, um, the Jehovah's Witness. They bang on your door? I love those guys. Hi, can we talk to you for... Absolutely! Stand by! Let me go get a chair! And I'll bring a chair outside. I'll sit right there. I actually have the Mario presentation queued up. So it is my birthday. <laughs> I sit down in the chair, and I keep them standing. I said, let's go. What do you want to talk about? Oh, man. And we just go... They knocked on the wrong door. Oh, no, man, yeah. It's good. I'll wear them down. I'll look, I think we have to go. Oh, we'll come back. Get some friends. Yeah, come on. I want to work it. That's awesome. I want to work it. So, I mean, it would depend on the circumstance. The sages say that we should be like the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. It was gold plated inside and out, it was pure inside and out. So, we as men should be transparent 
the same inside and out. I originally started bringing my son to work for me, and I would take him to visit business owners like Sean. And the reason I took him with me was not just to teach him how to run a business or how to make a sale or whatever it might be. It was to show him that you're the same in all settings. The same guy he saw and learned from at the breakfast table from the Word of God is the same guy he heard talking to this guy. And that consistency was something I not only wanted him to see, but quite frankly, I needed him to hold me accountable because I'm just a jerk, right? So there it is. Um, are we righteous men? And if we are, how do you define it? And if righteousness means obeying the law, you may have been taught some poor theology. For example, no one can keep the law. That's not true. Start with the apostolic writings. Who are the parents of John the Baptist? Or John the Immersive? Or John the Presbyterian? Or John the Baptist? Who are his parents? Zacharias and Elizabeth. It says both of them were blameless according to the law. Blameless. What is it that I can do to break the law that the law doesn't provide for me a way to fix it? You read in Leviticus 1 through 5. Oh, you find out you're guilty of, of a sin. Make it right. Go make sacrifice, pay five times what you know, you know, 15% fee, 20 points on top, whatever it was. I'm not perfect, but I'm keeping the commandments. Okay, but there are a minimum of 36 righteous men on the, on the planet. Which we have nothing to do with and we don't own, we don't know. The only reason can that they're be, there... Can, he, can it be 36 or 200 million? It's, 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 the sages just teach that there are 36. And it's just a tradition. I can't find it anywhere in the Word of God, but I think it's cool. I wonder if one of them is you. Are you holding we, the world We together? ruled him out. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. But no, I mean, you know, from, from our perspective, I mean, you know, I, I like to think I am righteous in doing Yeah, but what you think is irrelevant. It, right, right. What does God think about your righteousness? Yeah. And this has nothing to do with salvation. He's here on the planet. Mm -hmm. You know? He's, he's told us exactly how to live. He's told us exactly how to love. Paul, at the end of his life, said he was uh, blameless, according to the law. That's Christ's statement. He was a Pharisee. And he just kept the law. They were scruples, pious, unbelievable. I think the master was. It was um, one of the articles that you gave us to re read. Uh, if Jesus was a Jew, why are we Catholic? And it talks about that Judaism or Christianity is a completed form of Judaism. Um, My response to that article isn't in red, and I printed it out for you. And I'm glad you're awesome. In a nutshell, I think that it's not true. I think that uh, don't read it. Now. I'm just sticking it here. In your books. Um, I, I think that's a great question. And I think we could say if Jesus was a Jew, why am I a Baptist? Why am I a Presbyterian? Why am I a no name? <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's dialogue on this for a second because I'm, I'm very interested in this because this is what changed my walk. Because 15, 17 years ago, I looked just like you. I acted just like you. I'm studying the Bible, just like you guys. We're meeting in my home, we're meeting in the other guy's home. You know, I mean, this is what we were doing. And we're wondering, is, is this it? I mean, are we done? Is that, is that all there is? 
and we go on Sunday. Sometimes we go on Wednesday night. Sometimes it's a Sunday night thing. We get together, we camp. We, come on, there's got to be more. What is it? So here's a question. Two questions. I'll give them both to you, and then I'll ask them to you, and you can give me an answer. All right. So I'll give them both so you can think about it, because we're going to get the other guys involved. So here's the first question. When did Christianity begin? Question number two. Was, is Abraham, does Abraham have a place in the world to come? So let's start Abraham? with the second question. Yeah, Abraham. He was a Jewish guy? Right. Okay. Yeah. He's called a Hebrew. He's the first Hebrew. Hebrew means to cross over. He crossed over. So do you think Abraham has a place in the world to come? Father Abraham. Uh, yes. Had many sons. Many sons. Yes. How many think yes? I'm, I'm not sure. That's a good answer. So do this. I'm going to take that it is. Okay, so do but I'm just not sure. No, it is good. All right, so how about King David? It's pretty top shelf there. Yeah, I mean. So yeah. King David, yes? Hey, well, the, the, the tricky part that I'm having is anyone before Jesus? Oh. I don't oh, know. Oh, really? Because the ticket is Jesus. So if they if Jesus hadn't been around yet, Oh, so you so you think so you think that God didn't exist before that corner? No, no. So he's not God. I'm using my reference point, which is faulty. I'm using my own personal framing technique, which I know is flawed. Revelation says that the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Right. That means the sacrifice was done before time, because He is outside time. We are in time. But the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. God wasn't surprised by sin. He had already fixed the problem. Now he's got to do it in time. Now the spiritual realm is set. The physical world's got to be fixed. So what's the first thing he does? Covers them. He killed an animal, probably two, and covered them. We need our sin covered. So he covers them and determines from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, he says, from the seed of a woman, I will bring a Messiah. Women don't have seed. Hello? And yet we read in the Torah, if a woman with seed bears a son, then, and it goes through all the different... Mm-hmm. Well, we can see Messiah in this because we know a woman who had seed somehow and bore a child. All right. So he's got to pick a people, Abraham. And he's got to give us a representation. He's got to give his Torah, his law. He's got to give his prophets to tell us, hey guys, I told you, follow my commandments. If you don't, in fact, if you don't give the Sabbath, the land a Sabbath, I'm going to have to kick you out. And what happens? Last prophet shows up, blows the whistle, everybody out of the pool. Seventy years later, oh, okay. Why 70 years? A year for every Sabbath you missed. Because every seven years we're supposed to give the land a break. So, we're out of the land, we come back in, and we start again. If Abraham has a place in the world to come, and I submit that Christianity did not start at the cross. It started before the foundation of the world. That's why Noah was called a righteous man and found grace. A lot of people say there's no grace in the Old Testament. Found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I think Noah has a place in the world to come. Abraham saw his day and rejoiced in it. 
Mount of Transfiguration. Who shows up? Elijah and Moses. How'd they know? Numbers on the jerseys. So, does Abraham have a place in the world to come? I believe yes. Anybody who trusts in Messiah. Are you looking forward to the coming of Messiah? Yes. Yes. Was Abraham looking forward to the coming of Messiah? The apostolic scriptures say he was. What's the difference? There is no difference. In that corner, he finished it. It doesn't say he started it there. It doesn't say he started it when he was born. Heck, they saw the star from the guys in the east. You got, you know, 98% of the Jews did not come out of Babylon in this period. They stayed there. There was only a handful that went back. They stayed in Babylon. That's where Daniel was. Why would you think that these, these magi from the east would care about a Jewish Messiah? Because the Jewish prophets saved their lives. I'm going to kill them all. No, no, no. I got the dream under control. It's all right. We got it. I'll tell you what happened. And, and they, didn't get, they didn't get killed. So he, it started long beforehand. It started with the call of Abraham. It started with the slaying of the, of the Lamb before the foundation of the world. It was finished on the cross. The sacrifice. It is done. It's finished. Is there? It's God's plan. Precisely. And yet, as we know, unfortunately, from the Jews that don't believe he's the Messiah, there's still a lot to do. One of the things that had to happen is the Jews obviously had to be back in the land. He can't be king in Jerusalem as a Jew unless the Jews are in the land. He promised to give them the land. In 1948, bam, came to pass. And we've had other prophecies coming to pass. So, I would say that... Next 200 years, give or take. Every generation, including the, the apostolic folks, thought that he was coming back Absolutely, yeah. right away. We, we talked about that when we and, about and we should have that same reference right. and mindset. Right. Did that help? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I actually, and I don't know if Sean had mentioned this, if he did not, and I missed it, then I apologize. Um, I, I assumed you were born Jewish, and I did not know that. So that just makes it. Want to hear a funny story? Yes. I got invited by a local pastor of a Methodist church, a very, very large Methodist church, to come and speak because, as a Jew, trusting in Messiah, I could bring a perspective to these white bread folks that had no clue. That probably have a monolithic exactly. view. Exactly. So I came in and did my shtick, and we did Q&A for almost an hour and a half after. And we're in the church. Last question. How did you, as a Jew, come to know Christ? I'm not a Jew. I was born and raised as a Methodist, just like you. I'm just practicing the faith of my master. That was the end of the talk. I think that the pastor assumed that I was Jewish. Mm -hmm. But he just kept asking me if I trusted in Christ. 
I kept saying yes. I never said I was Jewish. And if he said, are you a Jew? Are you Jewish? What would I have said? No, are you? So it didn't end as nicely as it could have because I think they felt a little cheated. But, uh, yeah. um, I just assumed that you were all Catholic because I figured you were Catholic. Because and I mean, I honestly assumed you were a Jew, so I feel a little I cheated assume today. You were a Jew. Well, lots, of, lots of faulty it's assumptions. Under, it's understandable to think that you know I was said. a Jew. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I look like a Jew. I sound like a Jew. I eat like a Jew. I worship like a Jew. But so does my master. Taking the moral high ground on some of these questions of morality now has been a, a just a, a watershed event for me to be able to to look somebody in the eye and say. I don't think so. That's not going to cut it for me. No. That whole, no. no. And that effeminate thing's got to go too, by the way. So could you talk more to your walk from Christianity to Judaism? And the yeah, and, and I, would, you know, I, would, I would call myself a Christian among people that know me, but I would never use that term lightly. I don't want to call myself a Christian because it's got so much baggage to it. Because again, with the so whole... So you call yourself a Gentile, right? Isn't that what you used, the term you used earlier? Because you're not a Jew. I'm a Gentile a who practices, practices Judaism, Judaism yeah. and I believe in Messiah. Got it. I mean, it's, there's no other way to put it right. that I've been able to find. Messianic Judaism has a connotation that I am completely uncomfortable with. Um, if you're familiar with Hope of Israel, Hope of Israel, anybody Hope of Israel? Okay. Um, it's a Baptist church wearing tallits. It's uh, prayer shawls. It's designed to lure Jews in, do the bait and switch, and make them Christians. And if you want to keep wearing the keeper and the tallit, that's cool. And we'll even do some cool stuff and, and use the words Torah and so, so you feel comfortable. But it's just a Baptist church. In fact, the rabbi, who's from New York, went to Baptist seminary. So Messianic Judaism in other parts of the country is what I'm doing. The, the connotation here in Charlotte is, is much different. Um, so I wouldn't say I left Christianity. I just don't claim that moniker anymore. So just sure. want to be clear yeah. there. Um, we started practicing the feasts because someone had told me I was a Sunday school teacher and a deacon and an elder and a pastor and all that kind of stuff and uh, went to seminary for a while and uh, I kept hearing that Jesus could be seen in the feasts of Israel well they're not the feasts of Israel they're the feasts of God they're God's feasts and he wants Israel to show up Passover I mean, that's a slam dunk, right? I mean, we should all be able to do that. Just, you know, even the littlest bit you may know about what Christ did for us. He, I mean, even Paul said, John first said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Cool, nice, I like it. I think that's more probably the daily sacrifice lamb, not the Passover lamb. Because the Passover lamb is a Thanksgiving lamb. It has nothing to do. Or peace offering, actually. It had nothing to do with sin. It had nothing to do with uh, sacrificing for that purpose. But it did take away the sin of the world. And Paul said, the Lamb of God has been slain for us. Okay. John said later on, the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. So Passover kind of works. So um, we started having a Passover in our home, and we had, uh, we had a guy come to our church, and during the 40-minute sermon, he did a quick Passover Seder thing to show you what all of it was about, and how Jesus kind of lined up, and you could see Jesus in the past. And it's amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
So we started having a Passover in our home. And we had it first with our family and our extended family. They thought we were weird. And then every year after that, for 15 years, we've had a Passover in our home, which we're commanded to do. Um, and we would always invite another couple that had expressed some kind of interest in what we're doing. That's, that's kind of odd, Joseph. I'd like to talk to you about this sometime. Come on over for the Seder. And he and his wife would come, and we'd go through it all, and they, they, they're, the, the question you come out with at the end is, how could the Jews not see that he was the Messiah? Who told you the Jews did not see that he was the Messiah? The Jews did see that he was the Messiah. The religious leaders didn't want to see it, but the vast majority of the Jews did. Okay, so we're keeping Passover. And then uh, we started looking at the other festivals. There's five, um, actually there's seven. Um, but there's three pilgrimage feasts where the men are supposed to go up to Jerusalem. Um, so Shavuot or Pentecost is like, what do you do for that? Well, it turns out that you know, the, the tongues of fire that were on the apostles and they spoke in tongues and all that, if you read the sages, if you read the writings of the sages from before the master, they say that's what happened in Mount Sinai. Tongues of fire came down. Every man could hear, you know, all the nations, all the languages of the nations were spoken. It was just, the parallel is extraordinary. And this is what they were saying. Well, no wonder why the Orthodox Jewish apostles wrote the same kind of deal to make it line up. So it's the giving of the Torah, which is what Pentecost is all about, because that's what happened at Pentecost. We got the Torah. It came down with the tablets. Um, so you stay up all night and study the, study the Bible. You have a cool Bible study. I mean, all night long. That's good. Um, Rosh Hashanah, blowing the shofar. Um, shofar is the ram's horn. So we rented, uh, we rented a, a spot at the park and down by the water, and uh, we got the community together. And it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment to hear the sound of the shofar. It's such a commandment that orthodox websites will actually provide WAV files, MP3 files, of the sound of the shofar, just so you can hear it if you don't happen to be where you can hear it, like you're on traveling or something like that, just so you can hear the sound of the shofar. So we go through the normal liturgical prayers down at the water's edge, um, what's called a tashlik service. Tashlik means to toss or to cast. We read in Micah that he has cast all our sins into the depths of the sea and he shall remember them no more. Um, so the tashlik service is a traditional service on Rosh Hashanah. And you, there's a blessing, you go through all of that, and then everybody picks up some rocks. And we all split up, go down by the water's edge. You start confessing your sins and applying them to the rock, committing that you're not going to do it anymore, and toss them in the water. You plop, rock's gone, can't be found again, and supposedly you're going to start out the new year, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, Rosh means head, uh, Shana is year, it's the head of the year, and you start out the year clean slate. Clean slate. It's just like what we do with New Year's resolutions, but it's, you know, it's like in September. Or even confessions. Exactly, yeah. So we toss those in there. When you're done and you've confessed all your sins, pull your pockets inside out to indicate to everybody else two things. One, I did my business with God. And two, I'm done. You can talk to me. I'm not in one of those leave me alone, I'm confessing kind of things. So everybody starts heading back to the shelter with their pockets out. Very cool. Now are you confessing aloud 
much like you would pray. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Now, if you were standing right next to me with a rock, you wouldn't hear me, but you'd hear me mumbling or something. But you had the same thing. Um, so we come back to the shelter, and we have a little prayer service. And at the end of the prayer service, you get to blowing in the shofar. So I pull out the shofar. And we blow the shofar. And it, you know, there's 114 different tunes, tones and all that. So I blow the shofar. And this one year, I'm blowing the shofar. And when I finish, there's a rustling in the woods. We always have more than one man armed when we're, when we're together. I got three guys ready. <laughs> and this family pops out of the bushes. They climbed up the edge of the plant and came through the bushes. And they're standing there. Can we help you? We're Jewish. We heard the shofar. And we wanted to come and worship with you. You didn't know Christ. <laughs> yeah, buddy! The real thing. <laughs> you it was, it was great. It was great. <laughs> Should have heard the wave file. Sorry. So, yeah, I mean, it was great. You know, that we had people that just want to sit down with them and talk to them about Messiah and, you know, how at the last trump the dead in Christ shall rise. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the trickle of an eye will be changed, and mortality will put on immortality, and we shall be with him, and we shall sin no more. And in First Corinthians, in First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, you know, Paul again is saying, you know, at the last trump, at the trump of God, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, the dead shall rise. This is this is just speaks of Messiah. This is so cool. We're all waiting to hear. The trumpet of God, the shofar. The sages say that Isaac was killed by Abraham, and God raised him from the dead. It's just a midrash. It's just a story. It's just a teaching to teach that God can raise people from the dead, that God does accept sacrifice. Paul thought exactly the same thing, because he mentions in the scriptures, if you're looking for it, he says, and Abraham received his son back, as it were, from the dead. As it were? Well, he wasn't dead. Well, he's, re- he's alluding to the Midrash, mm-hmm. to the story. Which will make that either even, even greater faith statement. Absolutely! Absolutely! <laughs> so the sages say that the ram that was caught in the thicket, one of those rams got burned up. The other ram is the ram that he'll blow when the sun comes. That's good. I mean, just listen to some of the stories. It's very cool. So anyway, we started keeping all the festivals and all the feasts, and uh, we took a tour of the Holy Land, uh, the first fruits of Zion, uh, Messianic group, and uh, my eyes were opened. It was it was astonishing, and we we just started uh, the liturgical prayers, um, which grown up Methodist is tough. Um, Presbyterian may be a little bit easier. Catholic is really easy, um, but it was kind of weird. Yet I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at the footnotes, and it's all scripture. You know, and every now and then they'll throw in something weird, and you're like, okay, I'll wait and figure out where that came from. Um, but through the prayers, we started just my family. So Saturday mornings, and we, we started keeping the Sabbath on Sunday. And uh, I just got convicted that this is, I'm just faking this. This is, this is wrong. It's, it's definitely the seventh day. It's not the first day. And, and the church just turned it into Sunday. And there's just a bunch of hooey. You can't prove it. It's God chose the day. We're commanded, as one of the commandments, to keep the Sabbath holy. Not make it holy. Keep it holy. 
because he made it holy at creation. Because he finished all his work and he rested on the Sabbath day and he sanctified it, he set it apart, he made it holy. So I pulled the family together and I said, guys, I think we're wrong and I want us to, uh, I want us to keep the Sabbath on the Sabbath. You know, in almost every foreign language, Saturday is Sabato or Sabado oh, and all that. I mean, it's all Sabbath. Everybody knows it's, it's Saturday, it's not Sunday. Everybody. So, my, uh, my second daughter said to me in front of the family, she said, I'll, I'm going to obey you and I'll, I'll follow your lead, but I want you to know that I think this is the, the worst decision you've ever made for a family. We're going to lose all our friends, all the families that we're friends with. My wife agreed. She said, yeah, we're not going to have anybody. How old was your daughter when she made the statement? 14, okay. 15, 16. Um, a year later, had another family meeting on another topic, and uh, same daughter. She said, I, I need to make sure everybody hears me tell you that my faith is stronger right now than it's ever been because I've had a year to defend my faith. And now that we're not faking the whole Sabbath thing on Sunday, Everything we do is in the Word of God. And I can defend that to anyone who asks, and I've done it. And I think you having us keep the Sabbath on the Sabbath is the best decision you've ever made for a family. That was pretty cool. That's awesome. Nice little dad job. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that'll work. Um, So we started keeping the Sabbath. We started praying on on Saturday mornings uh, by ourselves, and that went on for about half a year. And then we had another family that we knew was, was keeping the Sabbath. Um, so we invited them over to pray with us. Um, so we started learning the liturgical prayers from the prayer book. And uh, then we would just sit around and, and talk about the, the reading for that week. Uh, we'd read around the room and stuff like that. No concept really of, of what was really happening in Orthodox synagogues around the world. Um, and my daughter, Morgan, um, suggested that we, we put a meetup together and create a meetup thing, group, whatever you call those things. And uh, bam, in a year we had like 50 people showing up. And it's been going strong since. A minion is 10 men. And um, I used to think it was kind of weird that the prayers change when you got a minion. If you have a minion, you can do all the prayers and everything's cool. And, and But if you don't have a minion, you're kind of limited. You know, it's like, come on, that's it. And I thought that was weird. And then I realized that even in business, legal matters are defined by having a quorum. If you don't have a quorum, you can't do business. And the sages teach that, you know, you can't do business with God if there's not enough righteous men. When do you have a community and just a bunch of folks? When does it become a congregation? God's always listening. That's not the point. But when can you set a halakha or the practice for the community? And it's when you got a minion. Um, so we've been meeting for, I guess, five, six years now. And of all those Sabbaths, only three times, two times, have we not had, I mean, we've, we've had ten men there. And we've had two or three bar mitzvahs, one bat mitzvah, um, a couple of baptisms. Um, and it's, it's been extraordinary. It really has. And uh, now we're learning a lot more Hebrew. We're getting into the word, and you know, and as you can tell, like I, I can, I'm, I can actually play it more than I used to. I'm just a dumb Italian guy, so I mean, if I can do it, anybody can do it. But I, I can tell you from personal experience, 
your faith will flourish like you cannot believe. And if you ever had that thought in your head of, is this it? I mean, I get it. Christian, I get it. I know the Bible, I understand, you know, I got it. And you're kind of bored with the faith. There's no boring now, man. You would not believe that if you go into um, the auto mechanics place wearing a ball cap, and then you go into the same place wearing a kippa, and people treat you differently. It's an amazing thing. People, I mean, I used to struggle with, how do I evangelize? I mean, what's the opening, what's the, what's the tick? What's the line? What's the hook? How do I do that? I don't have to worry about that crap anymore. Are you kidding? The guy washing his car with the, with the, with the vacuum next door almost pulled me aside when I went out to get the screen. Because, mm-hmm. you know, this it's is a little breaker. weird, right? It's yeah, an it's an icebreaker. And, you know, people have been asking me about my faith. So I'm thrilled with that and would encourage you. I mean, just give it a shot. Dip, dip your toe in the water. You know, it's weird. It's amazingly so weird. Long story short, you feel like your walk with, in Judaism as a practice is a closer walk to the Messiah than through Christianity. Absolutely, without question. And I'll defend that until you fall asleep. No question about it. Um, I'm doing what the Master did. I'm dressing like the Master did. Um, the scriptures are coming alive because I'm looking at it now from a Hebraic perspective. Did you check that out with the time thing? How cool is that? That So do Greeks actually feel that way still today? That they can see the future? Not that they can see it, but that their view of time is they're sitting on the bank. Right. And I may not be able to see the future, but I know it's coming, and I'm, I'm just watching time yeah. go by. Yeah, the rowing thing was really the cool. The rowing thing is so cool. That's but yeah, I would say the expression of my faith now is, is vibrant. It's exciting. And I'm, look, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the feast coming up. I mean, I'm counting the Omer. <laughs> Today's nine days of the Omer. And I'm, I'm telling everybody that. You go, what in the world is an Omer? And what are you counting? Well, now Pentecost, 50, Penta, makes sense. I'm counting seven sevens. Spring cleaning, you ever wonder where we get that? Passover. Because the day before Passover, you have to get all 11 out of the house. So the Jews would take everything off the shelves and sweep and clean and all. And the Gentiles started following their example, and spring cleaning came from that. So we'll clean out the leaven. So Sunday night, they've finished all the cleaning, and they deliberately leave some bread around. And in years past, I'd have a candle, an envelope, and a basting brush. And my son and I would go around and find the leaven that my daughters and my wife had hidden. Oh, I know you're getting cold, Dad. No, 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 no. And then it'd be quiet. You know, we'd find it. We'd sweep it all into the, into the envelope. And then we'd seal it up and we'd take it outside. And we'd wait outside until the next morning. Because leaven is a picture of sin. And we're cleansing ourselves. That's why when you take communion you've turned a whole meal with four cups, four glasses of wine you've turned into a shot glass of juice and a, some kind of plastic crap wafer. It, it's, it's just denuded of all of its meaning. So now, the next morning, my family's excited. The neighbors are watching out the window. That moron's at it again. So now I'm looking for the best way that I can burn the leaven. Because that's what you do. Traditionally, you can burn the leaven. So I'm dumping gasoline on the envelope. I'm lighting it with a boom, you know. And there's a little black spot on the driveway. And the neighbors are like, Joe, what are you doing over there again? Well, you know, we're, we're burning the leaven. Oh, yeah, that Jewish thing. Right. That's that Jewish thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, year was, this year was great because uh, 
Um, it, it's always discouraging that the envelope is gone in a moment. It, normally, you do this with a, a feather duster and a, a wooden spoon and a wooden spoon. That's it. Feather duster and, and you, you uh, a feather and a, and a, and a wooden spoon. And you, and you burn the wooden spoon. I can't afford all those wooden spoons. So we're we're envelopes and you know and, and uh, basting brushes. So uh, it's it's disappointing to watch this awesome fire, and then everything goes out. It's a little breezy and the ashes are gone, and all of the bread crumbs or the or the bread pieces are still sitting there. They're just now toast instead of bread, and that, that's always disappointing me. So every year my son and I are looking for some new way. Well, we got it this year. So this year we determined. Smoldering longer. <laughs> so we take the envelope outside. My son's getting the gas can. I go into the shop, and. I take the uh, magnesium starter thing for when we go camping, and I'm shaving some magnesium shavings into the into the envelope, and then I take about a thumb's worth of gunpowder because I reload my own ammo, pour that in there, shake that up pretty good. I'm looking around for anything else. Oh, it's great! So, got the envelope. You know, I, I cut the envelope a little bit on the side so I can pour all that stuff in there. So. Uh, the girls didn't know that, so put it on the ground, on the concrete, Pete douses it with the gasoline, move the can away. The cut is down, it's on the edge of the envelope like this, and he drops the match and it goes boom, and then it all catches, and it comes out the slit in the envelope like a jet engine. And we look. I'll go. It's been vaporized. <laughs> My daughter has it on video. Dad, this is the best one. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. So there's, there's learning the traditions of God's people down through the ages has been such a, a, a wonderful thing for us uh, to experience. And, and I just get a kid, and I've told my kids, and I continue to tell them, never argue Messiah with a rabbi. That's my job. And uh, because you don't want them to steal your thunder. No, I'm concerned. Um, most Baptists, when they when they go off to college, they lose their faith because they've never been taught how to defend their faith because they don't know what they believe because they're just following along in mom and dad's footsteps. And you know the trouble? Mom and dad have no clue what they believe either. Mm -hmm. So their lack of understanding of the Word of God leaves their kids completely vulnerable when they leave. So I don't want my kids to be in the position to argue against a rabbi. Because if you're arguing against an Orthodox rabbi, baby, you've got to know your stuff. Right. And you know what? You're not going to argue Messiah from the Scriptures. You've got to argue Messiah from the rabbinic writings, from the Talmud, from the Midrash Rabbah, from the Tosefta, all that stuff. And that's, you know, that's what I'm looking at. So I'm ready to do that. But to, to sit down with a, with a, with a Jew... <coughs> I automatically have an in. I automatically have some credibility where you guys have nothing. You're a Gentile. What do you know? So even if he knows I'm a Gentile, I'm obviously trying to practice. So my uh, one of my clients is Jewish. He's conservative Jewish. Um, he went to the Temple of Israel with him. We invited them over our house for, I think, Simchat Torah. So they read the scriptures and so forth. 
Um, they're both Russian dissidents. They were they left Russia because they were Jews that were being persecuted, um, just like in Firefox with uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, not that old. Okay. Um, so the mom, her mother died. So we found out about it. So I called them up and I said, uh, would it be an offense if my son and I came to the funeral? No, no, no problem at all. No, come, it'd be, we'd love to have you there. So it's, it's the Jewish cemetery. So we get there, similar kind of ceremony that you would think. In some faiths, somebody put some dirt on the casket, something like that. In the Jewish faith, casket goes in the hole, and each member of the family grabs the shovel one at a time, and the shovel's upside down, and they shovel dirt, one scoop each, on top of the casket, with the shovel is upside down, they're using the back of the shovel, because we're not building anything up here. The world has lost a soul. This is sad. We're being torn down, so the shovel's upside down. Very meaningful, very cool. So after that, she's going to sit Shiva. Maybe you've heard of that. Shiva is Hebrew for seven. She's going to sit, according to the scriptures, for seven days and mourn. And the way they do it, I'm going to tell you what, it gets a lot of your system. You don't have to worry about it. Now, for a parent, you sit Shiva for seven, and then you mourn for 30 days. And then every year on the yard site is the anniversary of the death. Anniversary of the birth, we don't do. Anniversary of the death. Every year we remember the death of the loved one. That's what Passover is. God has commanded us to remember every year the death of his son. That's Passover. And going to the funeral, I got it. Awesome. Now I'm teaching my kids. Now I'm teaching my wife. So uh, they're sitting Shiva. Sitting Shiva, she's sitting in morning clothes. Morning, not afternoon, morning. You know what I mean? So the door is unlocked. You don't knock. You don't ring the bell. You just walk in. Because you know, it's been publicized, that they're sitting Shiva that evening. So you just sit. You don't initiate conversation. If she talks to you, you talk. If she doesn't talk to you, you just sit. So they're having like a little cocktail party over here. Drinks and, you know, sandwiches and finger foods and all of that. And some of the women are just sitting quietly on the couch next to Elena. And every now and then she talks. And she starts to talk about her mom. Very cathartic. Very nice. After a half hour, hour, the rabbi shows up. We're going to do prayers. We're going to pray Kaddish. We're going to remember that God is sovereign. God gives life. God takes life. Very nice. Short prayers. I was actually familiar with this one. I knew where it was in the prayer book. It's this old man is handing out prayer books. So we're all going to face towards Jerusalem. Right? So they all know which direction it was. I didn't know. They know in this room. Okay, so we're towards Jerusalem, and they're doing the prayers. And, you know, we're, you know, davening back and forth, and you got some weird orthodox, and they're going back and forth like this, you know. And every now and then we're going to bow and come back up. And it's, it's pretty cool if you understand it. So we do that. We're done. He used to be a deacon. I start gathering up the books. Because this guy showed up. His job. Whenever anybody sits Shiva, he shows up in a suitcase filled with the prayer books. That's his job. That's the way he ministers to the morning. Very cool. So I'm walking over with a stack. And I'm putting in there. And 
He's rearranging them so that you know they fit in perfectly. He's got some kind of methodical system there. I hand the last one, say goodnight, together with my family. We start to leave. He grabs me by the arm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I turn and look at him, and he says, God bless you. It's Russian. I said, thank you. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. He says, we keep the Torah because we must, because we're Jews. You keep the Torah because you want to, and God will bless you. I almost started crying. It was the coolest thing. He had figured out. He knew I was a Gentile. Stuff like that happens all the time. All the time. It's, it's, I, I can't explain it. Um, to know that we're practicing exactly like the apostles. I mean, the scriptures are clear. They didn't leave. They're at the temple. They went up for morning prayers. It was the hour of prayer, and they're heading into the temple. And this guy says, got any money? That's, that's when all that happened. They're there for the prayers. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Let's look at it real quick, and we'll close with that, because you're getting sleepy. Back up to uh, 41. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Not prayer. The prayers. That's what the, what the Greek says. The prayers. What are the prayers? I can tell you what they are. They're the prayers that are in the prayer book that I use every morning, every afternoon, every evening. It's the prayer book that we use on Sabbath. That's the prayers. Because they've been preserved. Because what do Jews do? They preserve things, like the Word of God. That, those four things, are what we're trying to do with our community. Is to devote ourselves to the Apostles' teachings. And Paul said very clearly that we should not forsake the public reading of Scripture. When is the public reading of Scripture done? Publicly. Not just here in the room, publicly. It's in the synagogue. And everybody shows up, and you publicly read the Scripture. And this man gets called up, and he reads. And he goes back, and the next guy gets called up. It's an amazing thing. So we try to do the Apostles' teaching to fellowship. That's what we do in the afternoons. Right at 12 o'clock, we have that oneg time, and we're fellowshipping together. It's the breaking of bread. We're doing that. And we do the Apostles' teaching in the afternoons. We're studying the Word of God. And the prayers, we do that right before him. So we're trying to live that out and do it. And the fact that it looks Jewish is only because we chose not to do it. Because quite frankly, after the Jews revolted and were kicked out of the land, and the Gentiles pretty much took over the faith, that's when Catholicism began. And Rome, the Caesar said he was now a Christian. And they laid down the law. And you have in church history, in writing, that the laws they laid down were identical to the laws that Antiochus Epiphanes, the evil one, laid down. Couldn't circumcise their sons. Couldn't study the Torah. They definitely can't keep the Sabbath. They can't keep the feasts. It's amazing. If you do, we'll kill you. 
they would force Jews and others to work on the Sabbath, just to force them. About 700, 800 AD, it's like right before the middle of that wall. Um, the uh, quarter decimum situation came up. This quarter decimum is 14. So the 14th of Nisan in Hebrew is Passover. And the argument that the church fathers were having between cities was, um, we, we do Easter Sunday now. And these church fathers were, you know, in these various cities, these bishops in these cities were saying, we've always kept the 14th, we're always going to keep the 14th, and we don't recognize Sunday as being anything special. And the church forced those quarter decimals to leave, to disappear. Um, Sabbath keepers of Transylvania, uh, 1,200, 900, 800, somewhere there. They killed them. The church killed them. Because it gets sad. The only thing that needs to change for you, if you haven't been circumcised, if we were going up to the temple, in what we believe, what we believe the scriptures say, if we all came to know Messiah, the Orthodox Jews would be saying, you got to become Jewish. That means you got to be circumcised, you got to make sacrifice, you got to have a mikvah, and you got to promise to keep the whole Torah. And Paul was like, hang on, hang on. If you're saying they've got to become Jewish to be saved, that's not right. That's, that's salvation by works. We don't play that game here. They're saved by faith, and we need to just leave them alone. And they had a whole council about it. Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council came together. And so we've got four things we're going we're gonna to give you as a minimum standard. One, you've got to stop that fornication stuff. No more sex. You're going to Stop the blood. We're commanded not to eat blood. Don't eat blood. Stop killing one another. Stop getting into fights. And and the fourth one. Whatever the fourth one was. But because of these, um, oh, food sacrifice to idols. Um, because of those, the new Gentile believers could actually fellowship with the Jews. Because the Jews wouldn't because they were afraid that they'd be violating the law by eating with these people. That's the whole thing with Peter. So, the bottom line to Acts chapter 15, you see right about in the middle, James covers what uh, they've come up with, and they write a letter to that effect to these, uh, to these folks. And they say, you know, we don't, we don't need to tell them anything else. Why? Because every Sabbath, Moses is read in the synagogue. So they're going to learn the law over time. This was to Gentiles. They're going to learn the law over time. Because they're going to hear Moses every single Sabbath. Because that's what we do. We don't go through the whole Bible. We just go through Moses. We go through those five books every single week. So I personally believe that the Orthodox Jews that became quote-unquote Christians or started doing that, those are called the notary. They were a temple sect. Just another sect of Judaism. No monolithic fallacy there. I'm a Pharisee, I'm a notary, I'm an Essene, I'm a Sadducee. I follow the Nazarene. You know, but they acted Jewish. In fact, they were Jewish. So the Gentiles that came in started acting Jewish, just like me. But suppose I wasn't circumcised because my father wasn't Jewish or didn't practice Judaism. The command is to circumcise your sons on the eighth day. It's not for us to get circumcised. 
So if my father wasn't a believer, if he didn't know the word of God, I would walk into the faith uncircumcised. But the Torah teaches that no man can eat the Passover lamb unless he's circumcised. So it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. But if you're going to practice our faith, that's the sign of the covenant. And you're going to get circumcised before one year goes by. Guaranteed. Because you're going to eat the Passover. Now, you can't eat the Passover. Because you've got to sacrifice the Passover. No temple, no altar. You can't sacrifice any place except Jerusalem. That's why the Jews are so hot to try to get the temple back. Or to at least get the altar and get on the temple line. So, I think that if we look at their practice, they practice Judaism. The Gentiles began to practice Judaism. It's not a works by faith. It has nothing to do with my... Uh, it's not a work it's salvation. I, I'm simply being obedient to God in order to please Him because of what He told me to do. If you love me, you keep my commandments. One more verse. Matthew chapter 5. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So let's go back to that. I don't think I, that I have come, don't even think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So what did they teach me in the church? Well, you didn't, you didn't come to abolish that stuff. No, 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 he fulfilled it. So how come we're not doing it? Well, he fulfilled it. So fulfill means abolish. He abolished it because he fulfilled it. Well, yeah. I thought we weren't even supposed to think that he abolished it. Would you tell me he did abolish it? Well, he didn't abolish it, he fulfilled it. What does that mean he fulfilled it? Well, that means he filled it full, and it's done, and there's nothing more that you can do. What? What does that mean, he filled it full? That's a bunch of crap. I don't get it. So, let's keep going. Maybe we get the Bible thing wrong. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Heaven and earth are still here. When do heaven and earth pass away? At the end of the Olam Hazeh, after the millennial reign of Messiah. Then we get the world to come. We get the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down. You know, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Big cube. No street lamps. Yeah. That's what it says. There's no street lamps. Because Messiah is there. He's the light. Yeah, okay. Um, it's true. So... Until that happens, nothing will pass from the law until everything is accomplished. Why don't a lot of, of Jews believe that Yeshua is the Messiah? Because everything hasn't been accomplished. Well, how many reasons do we need to see that he didn't want to toss it? He expected us to, to keep it. And sure enough, if I can get up the turn, I think it was turn, okay. Thank you. Um, he says uh, at the end, Matthew 5, verse 48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
It's a direct quote from Leviticus chapter 19, which we're reading this Shabbat. How can you be perfect? Keep all of the law. Okay? Actually, actually I, have, I have two quick, quick questions. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. So, since Jesus is the Messiah, Good one, sense. I like do you it. recognize Christmas? Do Two. I recognize Christmas? Yes. You mean do I practice it? Either or recognize and or simply. Okay. Um, and, and then second, are we, I don't know the right, you know, are we silly for going to church on Sunday and recognizing the Sabbath Sunday? So you're asking for opinions now, right? Uh, opinion, yes. Okay. I'll ask the first one first. Um, that's a big question in our family. Mm. Okay. I got a really strong faith-filled family. They're strong Presbyterians. On my mother, on my uh, wife's side, my, my family's side. Here. Um, so they asked us that. So you know, we get the Jewish thing, sort of. We think you're wrong, but hey. Um, so you're gonna do? Do you celebrate Christmas? Well, it's like asking me what church I go to. You don't really want to know if I celebrate Christmas. You want to know if I'm gonna celebrate the resurrection of Messiah, or I'm gonna, or sell, that's for Easter, or the birth of Messiah. Mm. We celebrate the birth of Messiah in ways that you cannot even comprehend because we take the scriptures and the traditions of God's people and we look and see that he was born and tabernacled among us, as John said. That's kind of a word clue. Maybe it was the feast of, oh, I don't know, tabernacles. He was in a stable. The word is sukkah, which is sukkot in plural, which is the name, tabernacle, that's the name of the festival. So we believe he was born during the eight-day festival of tabernacles. And he died on Passover. So are we going to celebrate the birth of Messiah? Yeah, you're just late, because this was like in October this year. You missed it. December 25th? It's different every year. Oh yeah, because it's a Hebrew calendar. It's based on the moon, not the sun. So, do I celebrate Christmas? Christmas? Christ's Mass? No. No. I think it's more of a Catholic holiday. I think it's made up out of whole cloth. Um, I think that it had, has good intentions, but I think it's misplaced. And it's certainly one, you know, one of the very strong pagan holidays from the past. I'm sure, of all the days on the calendar, that's probably not the day God would have his son be born. But, what do I know? I'm just an Italian guy. So yeah, we do celebrate the birth of Messiah and we celebrate it for eight days and we tabernacle. We build a sukkah in our backyard or the mm-hmm. lean-to shelter thing and we have all our meals out there whenever it's not raining. We have parties in there. We dance in there. We study the Torah in there. We drink wine in there. And we celebrate God tabernacling with us. So yeah, I'm, I'm all into the birth of Messiah. Do we bring a tree into our house the way Jeremiah says we shouldn't? I think it's chapter 17. Um, an evergreen? No, not anymore. Um, do we give gifts? No, not anymore. Um, but if you've ever experienced the Feast of Tabernacles, you won't be missing Christmas. As far as Easter, Ishtar is the name of a foreign god. We're not even to have them on our lips, according to the scripture. Um, I don't, uh, I don't think that as Gentiles we could possibly read the scriptures and get it. 
Well, I was. I have read from priests that Easter did not actually come from Ishtar. I've read that as well. So, so you gotta you gotta wonder where it came from. Yeah. Doesn't matter where it came from. It's not a biblical holiday. What is the biblical holiday? Passover. Now, it's interesting. The master said that he would give only one sign to that wicked generation, just like the wicked generation that came out of the exile. It was a wicked generation. They all died. Wicked generation. They all died. He said he'd only give them one sign, the sign of Yonah, the prophet. Just as Yonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That was it. That's the sign. So now the church tells me he was crucified Friday morning about 9 o'clock. About, min, uh, about noon, it got a little dark. 3 o'clock, bam, down for the count, we're done. Put him in the ground. Sunday morning, it's Easter, he's gone. Okay, so I get in front of a, a fifth grade Sunday school class and ask them to teach me the math. Give it to me. Let me see if I get this. Even part of a day. So I got Friday, I got Saturday, and Sunday. I thought he wasn't there on Sunday. Well, maybe part of Sunday. Okay. So let's get the nights. Friday night, Saturday night. I know he wasn't there on Sunday night. That's only three days and two nights. Okay, let's try it again. Maybe Friday. No matter how you do it. The Friday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, Easter Monday, it can't happen can't possibly work. If you look at all the Sabbaths, it, we, we just don't get it. So, long story short, I think he was crucified on either Wednesday or Thursday. I think I can demonstrate that from the scriptures. And I think that uh, he was raised from the dead as Sunday began. When does Sunday begin? Saturday, Saturday night. We call it Motsi Shabbat. Blessed you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We say this every time we eat. Who brings forth motzi, lechem, brings forth bread, lechem, from the earth. Motzi Shabbat, we're coming out of Shabbat, is right after the Sabbath ends on Saturday night. This is when Paul met with the Gentile church. On Saturday morning, he's in the synagogue, and he's arguing about Messiah, and he is praying, and he is studying. And at Motzi Shabbat, when the Sabbath is over, he goes to somebody's house, and he meets with the Gentile folks who they won't let in the synagogue anymore. And that's when he starts to preach, after sundown on Saturday night. It's dark. Starts to preach. There's a lot of lamps, it says. And old Eutychus is up on the third floor. Un, you know, by mistake, sitting by the window. What happens to Eutychus? Falls down and is taken up as dead. Did Paul actually start preaching Saturday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, and preach all day into the night, and then at about midnight, the kid falls asleep? Come on. It doesn't make any sense. But heck, I can start at sundown and go till midnight. Easy. Aren't you glad the lights are on? So that's Motsi Shabbat. So, Passover, the death of Messiah, his yard site, the anniversary, you know, we, we celebrate that. So my father-in-law asked me, are you going to celebrate 
the resurrection. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Without question. Am I going to do it on Easter Sunday? I don't think so. Yeah. Although it may work out that way on a particular year, although it normally never happens on a Sunday. This year it was on a Tuesday, mm -hmm. so Monday night. So that's a good question, and it's one that I get a lot. Yeah. But then, you know, like moving from Sunday to Saturday, it's not as hard to give up the other holidays, especially if your kids are old enough to say, I'm not doing that, and here's why, and they understand. Yeah. Or they're so young, they never even got into it in the first place. Because it's not like they're going to miss out on fun. Because I mean, we, we party a whole lot more than you guys do, trust me. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. You good? Yeah. You're set? Praise God. Thank you. It was it wow. was a privilege.